gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to another episode of Shamer, where we are bringing back shame and attempting in our small way to repair this culture where it's broken. Today's guest is a friend of mine, a longtime friend with whom I've collaborated a number of different times uh, in the past. He's somebody who most of you are probably familiar with. He's a very popular streamer. He's a musician. He's a comic artist. He's also out here trying to build culture with his new enterprise, the Ripiverse, which has been unbelievably successful. So we're going to get into that and a number of different political topics as well. I'd like for you to all to welcome the one and only Eric July. What's up? What's up? What's up, man? It's good to be here, man. I appreciate it. It's been a long time. We talked about it a little bit, um, you know, off, off the record, man. But it's, it's been a long time coming, but I'm glad I'm here. Yeah, yeah, it has been. I mean, man, we've known each other since, what, 2016, I want to say? Yeah, r- roughly around there. Yeah, that's about right. It might have been 2015, 2016. So yeah. there was a, a pretty large Facebook page called Being Libertarian, mm-hmm. uh, which the audience might be familiar with. And this is back when I was very libertarian. I know, Eric, you still are. And we were partial admins at the page. There were a bunch of different people running yeah. it. And I remember you and I speaking, and then I asked you to do some voices in a, a cartoon, which you nodded, a classic Freedom Tune video, like Racism Explained. I mean, Eric crushed it, man. You crushed it in that... Because I wrote that script, and when I wrote the script, I thought it was decent, you know? And yeah. then I was like, this is good enough to make. And then I shot it off to you, and when I got your audio back, I was like, this is going to be one of the funniest videos we've ever done. This, you Dude, your delivery was incredible on that. Oh, man, that was that was fun, man. I always uh, point back to that as well uh, for, the, for the audience, man. That was a very, very fun uh, – I mean, it's still relevant. Hell, it might be more relevant – now yeah. than what what it ever has been uh that that first one but doing that one and the, you know the kanye ones that we did that, those <laughs> oh are my good gosh, as well. that's right yeah, yeah, yeah so it, it's throwback. fun it's, it's always been fun yeah that was that, that was a good time man and we've done a number of videos since eric has been in a couple different freedom tins videos at this point we're always happy to have you on man you, yeah. you always crush it with the delivery this is one thing people will ask why don't you have more guests and i like having guest stars but the thing is, even if you really like someone or even if they're a really big name or both, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be good at voice acting. And it's yep. so important to have good comedic timing and a solid comedic delivery. And so I was very happy to learn that you did when we first worked together. There are a few people who I, I, I continually work with whenever I can because they nail it with the delivery. So you were always great. I always bring Tim Pool back because he crushes it yeah. as Dr. Fauci and any yeah, of the other roles that, that I'll put him in. So when people ask like, oh, why don't you work with this person or that person? I'm happy to work with anyone. I'm happy to work with anyone, but it's it's also important to remember that they've got to be able to nail that delivery or else the whole cartoon suffers. Yep. Yep. It's it's an actual uh talent, the whole voice acting stuff. So that that was why it was fun, you know. Before then I'd been doing some voice stuff and afterwards we know we've done a lot. So that was it was right up my alley. So I remember getting pitched that idea. I was like, "Yeah, man, I'm I'm game. I'm I'm in, man, a hundred percent." I'm just glad it came out. It came out well, and the audience loved it. Well, if you want to feel old, that video was released about seven years ago. Now that's crazy. Now I do yeah. feel old. That's no, yeah. We've both yeah. grown so much since then, man. That's that's yeah. That's that's the, that's the thing. I mean, it really ha- we've been blessed. We've been immensely blessed, both of us, since then. I mean, Freedom Tunes is up to eight hundred sixty thousand subscribers now and growing. The podcast I just started, Shamer, we started this a couple months ago, and we've got about 30,000 subs on Rumble. Uh, I mean, it God has really, really uh, helped me to grow. And you as well, dude. When we started, so when we were collaborating back then, you were you were doing music, but you were not into streaming yet. And it's funny because you and I were actually kicking around the idea of doing a podcast together, yeah, Tunes in July. Yeah. 
Yeah. And we recorded a pilot for that too. And we just never ended up having the time to collaborate on it. Yeah. And then you started streaming and you have really blown up. You've been crushing it. And people are like, oh, uh, have you like seen Eric July's stuff or have you considered collaborating with him? I'm like, excuse me, sir. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Eric July and I have been collaborating for a long time. Yeah. No, it's it's been awesome, man, to see kind of, you know, where we've come from kind of from there and just the opportunities that, I mean, both of us had. I mean, the streaming thing kind of opened everything up for me, um, you know, definitely when I just started appearing, just doing just, just regular live stuff and I made it more concentrated. You know, we've done shows here and there, uh, you know, for Canon Sega. I think I hit almost 500 episodes with with that, with that show. And it was, you know, it just opened so much up. But also it allowed me to be able to like subsidize the other projects, including backwards, the music, which people love uh, in the Ripperverse. And, yeah. you know, it, it, it serves as a launching pad. So it changed the game. And, you know, I talk about all the, all, all the time on my channel about like kind of have the means now with a lot of creatives, which is why it's no better time than now have been more like kind of decentralized in a sense that it's more affordable. And we have yeah. we have a direct line of sight with, with our audience. So. Westa, you did have to go through this channel, that channel, the proper channels in order to get a name for yourself. Those days are, are kind of, have kind of come and gone. Now we're able to get a direct line of sight by doing stuff like this, whether it be recording or or streaming or doing any of that. Yeah, well, and that's one of the most important things about the fact that the traditional gatekeepers have melted away. A person can continually put themselves out there, and if the average person likes what that individual has to say, then eventually they're going to grow. Now. This is also why cancel culture is so important to the left and to the traditional oh, yeah. gatekeepers. And this is why you see a lot of this coming from traditional media. I remember when there was a massive assault on PewDiePie a few years ago and the massive assault we see continue on people like him and Joe Rogan. The vast majority of the power behind it comes from traditional media trying to smear that person. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it's transparently obvious. Why? Because this is a person who was able to rise to fame without those gatekeepers having, having sanctioned their opinions first. Joe Rogan is somewhat complicated because he was famous in a more traditional way yep. before he started the Joe Rogan experience, but he did not have nearly the level of notoriety given to him by the establishment that he just went and seized for himself by having conversations that he didn't ask for their permission to have. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like, um, and he got more popular doing it that way, right? Like yeah. doing it in a more un unconventional way. And I, I think that a lot of people, particularly the you know the, the authoritarian left, man, those guys are is starting to seep in, uh, which is why they ramp up those attacks. That this is becoming an animal that they cannot, they just simply can't yeah. can't control. So I know I, I say this for example about the Ripperverse, and obviously me being a you know, we came out swinging with with the way that we had, we had come with uh, with ISOM number one and, and our sales and all that. And I tell people this all the time. I got I got more attacks, no more attacks doing this, like my own independent stuff, all this stuff in independent comics. than I had when I was making edgy takes back, you know, in those eras, 2015, 2016. Mm -hmm. Now I'm more hated than I ever had been. And this is probably the most apolitical thing that I've done in making a comic <laughs> book. Isn't right? that interesting? But Isn't you know, that it, interesting? It, but because they realize, oh, wait a minute, this guy has entered into what grounds that they think they own, and I made a made a big statement, you know, and they absolutely hate that because they can't control. Like, whereas traditionally it'd be like, we don't like this person, 
Therefore, we're going to go to their employer. We're going to go to their uh, advertisers or we're going to go to we're going to try to pull the rug from under them. That doesn't exist here with the with something like the Riververse and they can't control it. So they've ramped it up. They've been as disgusting and as nasty as they possibly could be. And that's because they can't control it. And they knew that that's that's where it started for them. And that's where it ultimately end with them. But they, particularly them, definitely the Western leftists, they they have almost nothing if they don't have like control of culture because it's not yes. like they got the best and brightest ideas <laughs> or the best and brightest advocates, right? That's true. Uh, That's very true. Or, or advocates who you look at and go, wow, that person has their life together. Why don't I adopt their <laughs> philosophy so I can get exactly. my life together? Exactly. I've, I've, I've said this before, right? And this might come off as really harsh, but I do think this is true. Uh, so as a Catholic, I've known people who were of different religious faiths than me, right? Protestant, Jewish, uh, Muslim, but of whom I could genuinely say, this is someone whose life is so together that I could understand someone outside of their religion wanting to convert to it, seeing how that person lives their life. Right. I've never felt that way about a leftist, unfortunately. <laughs> there are leftists who I've met who I've been impressed by on some level of whom I could say, oh, wow, like you're sharp or you're really good at articulating these ideas. But unfortunately, I don't think I've ever met one who said, wow, your life is really together. And I can imagine why someone would look up to you and want your worldview because of the things it's done for you in your personal life. Never, ever, ever have I felt yeah, that that's, way. Yeah, that's almost non-existent. I mean, mm -hmm. they are often dysfunctional people and they often try to like project that dysfunction as if it's or attempting to normalize it. Um, which I think is a very why leftism in, in, in general is something that is so attractive because it almost incentivizes being um, not not thorough, not uh, well put, not all together upstairs and whatnot. Because let's say if you are in you have a trajectory, let's say in your own individual individual life, um, you much rather try to project that whether how bad it might be onto everybody else to try to justify and legitimize yes. and excuse your bad behavior as yeah. opposed to, let's say, becoming something greater. So, you know, Amen. this is why often even in the economic sense, they adopt the 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 policies that they often adopt because it incentivizes failure. But more importantly, it, it excuses their own. So, you know, this is why they're always quick to try to take from other people. But yeah, going to that point, like I said, it's just they have nothing. If they have control of the mediums that people look to in, in level of uh, influence, they know they have everything. They, they're like, I don't need to convince this person to have the brightest idea. I can funnel this bad idea through this 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 movie or this uh, this this type of music or this whatever it is. Uh, and I can put it there and I can have those actors, actresses, directors, producers, whoever that people may look to to some sort of influence. I can have that bad, terrible messaging uh, funneled through them and it legitimizes it. So are us just merely existing delegitimizes them, which is why they often hate us so much. Exactly. No, I, I think that's a perfect way of putting it. And there's a, a key phrase you use there, which is projecting dysfunction. This is something we see constantly on the left. So I'm going to be a broken record here because most of my audience has heard me say this before, but maybe your audience hasn't heard this or maybe you haven't. But part of the... Part of the reason that bizarre sexual morals were normalized in the United States was because of the work of a man named Alfred Kinsey. And he's known as the godfather of the sexual revolution. And it was supposed. And it came out of. So I remember seeing this constantly uh, with something as simple as Lord of the Rings, right? When we talk about culture, I don't know how many takes I saw from people saying Frodo and Sam were gay. I don't know how many takes I've seen 
that similar take just with respect to fictional male friendships in general or real life male friendships between yep. historic figures or between people who are alive today. And it's funny because these are the same people, right? These are the people who will claim that to fillet another man isn't gay if he says he's a woman. But then they see two male friends and they go, oh, those guys are gay. That's yeah. the only explanation. Like that's gay. Like hold on. Performing fellatio <laughs> isn't gay. Yeah. It could the- be a woman's anatomy but but having a close male friendship is gay okay come on that's that's extra but they they've done that i mean where they reinvent history um with actual characters fictional characters they do it all the time um where it's like an an example that i like to use of this and it came out of nowhere this started like in the early 2000s um, and if you ask like your average individual, they think that this is a thing because it it had been talked about for, let's say, the last, let's say, 20 years. Yeah. But it's the myth that the X-Men, for example, were created to more accurately putting it well, inaccurately. Well, they would say like Professor X represented Martin Luther Malcolm King or, oh, yeah, and, okay. and, and, and uh, Magneto represented Malcolm X. Right. Oh, OK. Right. And that had been that's that's a myth. It's not like but it popped up out of nowhere. Right. It was like you can find you can't find an interview with Stanley. We're talking about that. Wow. For 20 years, like for not even that for 40 years, almost. I actually thought that was true, by the way. Exactly. I, just, I thought Most that people, was true. Yeah. It's, it's one of the biggest myths ever in comics. But it don't you can't find an interview. You can't find him discussing any of that until that X-Men, the X-Men like movies in the 2000s started to come about. And that's when that myth kind of started to mm. circulate. And you often read these books and I'm like, man, you're saying a lot of negative things about Brother Malcolm X if if you're thinking Magneto was him because he was about as cutthroat of a villain that you could possibly think of, mm-hmm. a literal supremacist. Um, uh, so I don't know where they're trying to, but you know, it was something, it was revisionist sort of, sort of history. And then it clicks and then now everybody thinks that this was always always the case they do that with media and they do it with historical figures people are doing it right now with uh uh the you know obviously with the little mermaid being based on a danish sort of uh fairy tale but they there's there's people now having this conversation that the original like writer let's say for the influence of the act uh, of little mermaid is was gay like he had a gay friend or something like that and i was like where did that come from but you know <laughs> You know, I, we're just it was making all, stuff up. Yeah, dude. they're just it's making so stuff obvious. up. It's they're so just making obvious. stuff up. So you know that that's the, trying to legitimize you know degeneracy by just I don't know making stuff up and revising <laughs> history as if people weren't around. Um, and like we can't go back and even research it ourselves. And I'm like, no, nobody made this argument for for how did this how did this come about? But. Um, unfortunately, a lot of just the average Joe Blow normie, if you will, they'll pick that stuff up and run with it. And that's who that's who the uh, particularly the left in the West are trying to influence. Yeah, absolutely. And, and a lot of this really has to be regarded with suspicion. There's so much to say about that. But we see this with history. We certainly see this with faith. One yep. prime example of this, of trying to project degeneracy, is when people try to project degeneracy onto Christ himself. There is this insane conspiracy theory that is borne out by absolutely zero evidence that he had an affair with Mary Magdalene, committed adultery with her. Now, any professor who espouses that view needs to be regarded with deep suspicion because what he's saying is even God himself 
couldn't resist an unethical yeah. sexual encounter with a female student, right? I mean, that person is telling you something about themselves when they say that they need to believe that Jesus was engaged in this disgusting behavior. So I really think we need to start holding them to account for the things that they purport to believe because they do the same to us, right? Oh, yeah. So when people protest Target and say, I don't want my children being shown sexual perversion, the response from Gavin Newsom is, this is an attack on black and Asian Americans? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? But they can extrapolate from, don't force bizarre sexual perversion onto my children that you're a racist. Okay, mm -hmm. well, I think then it's reasonable for me to infer from your sexual morals and what you believe about the way people have behaved historically uh, or how they've behaved historically, absent any evidence, that you're a sexual degenerate who's trying to yeah. normalize your lifestyle choices. Yeah. I mean, why not? I mean, they do. They love to do that. I mean, they try to take it. Hell, they'll try to take advantage of people's like individual views, particularly Christians. Um, you hear it all the time, like just because someone has a take that they don't like. And they'll be like, well, that's not very Christ-like or something of that <laughs> nature. And I'm like, dude, you, you they'll crap on Christ any day Constantly. of the week. Yeah, they might have done it. You. Yeah, they, exactly. So to try to appeal to that, what they're attempting to do is take some rules that they don't apply to themselves, standards that they don't hold themselves to, and then try to utilize it to attack certainly you. They're very good at this, which is why, you know, I often I often encourage people to, to not play their game as far as when th they want you on the defense. Right. That's why they say things like that, because they want you like, oh, I'm going to claim you're a racist or something. And they're like, you, you know, the I guess the rational person's instinct is like, I, 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 I'm not that. And, and I, I'd never be that. And you funny you talk about shame. That's when I use mocking shame on them when I get claimed. Claim that stuff. I, I, a story I always tell is uh, people that follow me know this story. There was this person who called me transphobic. Um, there's some chick, and I I can't even remember what the conversation, but you know, it doesn't have to do with transphobia or trans people in general. Yeah, no, of course. For it you did. to be, yeah, you know, for you to be called that, <laughs> and I just I went through the conversation never having addressed that claim, and then it came a point where the person was like. Uh, it was the lady. She says, so you're not going to address these supposed like claims of uh, of transphobia and whatever. And I was like, no. And they malfunctioned. Right. Like, what do you mean you're not? Because they don't have anything prepared outside of that. No. because They're always always expecting you and the people that are rational to be on the defense without having to defend their own degeneracy or own immoral um, behavior. It is that they have tried to place upon pretty much the entire world. So. You know, um, it, it's always about not, at least for me, not playing playing their game or using their tactics, certainly against them. Exactly. So this is something that's important for people to remember. You're engaged in two completely different enterprises when you're having a conversation with a leftist, right? You're trying to have a conversation about ideas and get to the bottom of their worldview. They're playing seven degrees of Kevin Bacon with racism. They're trying to find some way to connect what you've said to something else that they could connect to something else that they could yep. connect to something else that they could eventually connect to racism. That's all they're doing. And they really believe if I get to that end point where I've connected this to racism, they've won. I have won. What? What are you talking about? You haven't proven anything, right? You, yep. you haven't made a substantive argument that's justified in any of your positions. And this is something I see all the time with left-wing commentators on TikTok or on YouTube is they will very smugly play this seven degrees of racism game in front of you 
while ostensibly feeling like intellectuals and looking at you smugly for saying, I can connect this practice to racism. Okay, well, that was an unbelievably thin and tenuous set of connections. But even if you want to make that argument, all right, tell me what's wrong with the idea that you're trying to refute. They'll do this thing. Well, you know, like the nuclear family has strong ties to racism because yeah. and, and there's, a, there's a million and one ways you can justify that in the same way that you can play seven degrees of Kevin Bacon with basically any concept. Like if you give someone a concept, if they're rhetorically gifted enough, they can very easily link it to any other concept. That doesn't prove anything, right? That doesn't show like, let's do this now. G give me Give me two completely unrelated things. Like, uh, I don't know. Something good and something insane. Like, let's some, say, like, some good is like water. Water. Uh, okay. Okay. So, water's good. We all need yeah. it. Something that is in, insane, let's just say, I don't know, link it to murder. Murder. Okay. So, what a lot of people don't understand is that the tradition of drinking water among human beings dates just as far back as the tradition of murdering one another does. In fact, for as long as human beings have been drinking water, they've been committing crimes of murder. And one thing that water defenders who try to pretend that they're not just in favor of murder, but enjoy drinking water, don't tell you is just how many murders occur by drowning each year. <laughs> and then they look at you smugly like they've accomplished like they something they intellectual. They split the atom, bro. They done split that, found a hope diamond, man. They done figured it all out. <laughs> Insane, like, man. What are you talking about? <laughs> but this is exactly what they'll do with racism or transphobia or homophobia. Like, well, you know, the nuclear family structure was popularized in the United States in the 1950s, around the same time that Jim Crow and segregation and other racist redlining housing policies were preventing black people from entering suburbs. Coincidence? Like, yes, actually, yes. Coincidence. Correct. It is a coincidence. <laughs> That's exactly like, what it there is. There are coincidences in the world that do happen. But it's such a it, paranoid, insane way of looking at it. It shows reality. just how obviously shallow these guys are because they can't find anything like incorrect with anything it is that someone else is doing, unless they can connect it back to something of that nature, racism, homophobia, whatever it is. Like, so it's funny, like they like to think, let's say we talk about something more in, in an objective sense, like let's say a bad movie, doesn't matter what it is. Yeah. You know, like you can have folks like myself and obviously me being in the commentary space, you should do this stuff all the time. Back when I used to cover movies and comic books and all that stuff all the time. And it's like, I would say, I'd be ahead of the curve saying, this is bad, this is why, why, why? And then they'd like to think that, OK, they came, I don't know, a year after the fact saying, well, this wasn't so good. But their reasoning and saying that it wasn't so good, that which they think they have the right position is because they done somehow found out the writer was racist or or <laughs> yeah. or this this message actually perpetuates uh, this stereotype or something of that nature. So they can only find that or think that it's wrong. Because they can tie it back to that, because that's all their ideas uh, uh, trace back to. These are not reasonable people, which is why it's very difficult to argue with them, because, you know, as I say all the time, you know, you can't kind of reason a person out of a position that they got to just purely based on emotion. It's it's impossible. It's li it's literally impossible, which is why shame and mock is why I say do it, because you're more likely to appeal to their sensibilities if they have one, have any, any by by doing exactly that because it does kind of prey and pry on their uh, on their emotions but to be fair that's how they got to the position in the line of thinking that they did anyway it's not like they were rational people obviously and screaming that i don't know 
not not wanting a a a black little mermaid uh is racist or something like that or not think or not thinking well, that's like okay different don't, then this is the other part of this which is I think it's really overplayed and annoying when conservatives make the, the left are the real racists argument because what you're essentially doing is agreeing with them that racism is against black people is the number one problem in the United States. Yeah. But that said, but that said, you would think if you actually wanted to create entertainment for black people that, that was going to make them feel represented, like you would take traditionally black stories or stories from Africa and Absolutely. make films about those instead of taking stories that were developed by people who were white. And by the way, I don't even, this is like something I find myself having to say frequently, this idea of white. It's like, okay, in Europe, they didn't consider themselves white. They were Danish or Scottish or Irish right. or English. So to even say that this came from a white culture is a weird way of putting it. But we know that the reason the left is taking it and trying to appropriate it is because it is something that's perceived as white. And yep. so they they need to the whole the I think one of the reasons they do this is because they want to be able to publish articles saying, look at all these racists who are against a black Absolutely. character in a film or television show, even though they were clearly setting it up so that people would be upset by it. If they went in, all right, you know how many black characters there have been in movies and TV shows that no one has been upset by? Was, <laughs> was anyone angry when Shawshank Redemption came out because Morgan Freeman played Red? Dude, in the, in the original book, there's no indication that Red is black. And I think it's actually mm -hmm. hinted at that he's Irish. He's like red. He has red hair. Um, but no one was upset by that. That's been my biggest issue. I mean, you know, uh, and, and I, as I call it, like tokenization with the whole race swap thing, it's like Africa has. No, actually more considering just how big of a continent, you know, it, it actually is in terms of like folklore and. And, and and tales, fairy tales, and all that's all that's there. Even ones based on mermaids, believe yeah, it or not. Yeah. Yet, yet for whatever reason, those stories get untouched by these guys, and instead, they would much rather create something that we've known as traditionally white, um, and or that character, fictional or not. I mean, they're not. They don't even care, and they used to try to fall back on that. Remember, it was like, well, it's a fictional character; nobody cares about it, and now they're tokenizing historical figures. Right, we have yeah. like with the Cleopatra Black situation. Cleopatra. Yeah, like, oh my goodness, do they not know how people in Egypt? This is one of those things. It's like okay, Africa does not mean black. Black, yeah, people yeah. In Africa who are olive skin, like it's yeah. so childish. But that's what it, that's what it is, you know. They had that. They had uh, what was this? Some queen was it like in uh, based out of England? It was some show that they had, that they made her black or something like that. It just doesn't even make sense. So they're doing it to historical characters. They're doing it to fictional characters. And then again, these stories go often untouched. And and it is to try to it's it's being used as a shield often is what it is because they look at it like oh well, racism is the worst thing that could ever possibly exist. And therefore, we can hide bad material, often bad media, because anybody that criticizes this, well, they must be racist. They yeah. must be uh, uh, something of that nature, even though, you know, you've tried to be sort of it's almost inflammatory to try to even like just look, we've seen it. We understand it for what it is. Why are you trying to 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 swap it? And then, like, again, look no further than my, than than my company with Isom being the, the, the first character that we introduced, who's a black black character and they hate me they hate me more for doing that an original black character than they do for me not liking uh tokenization so you know it doesn't say, even like, matter 
you can't have a black character with white politics. They're so anal about racial separation when it comes to these ideas they claim are black as opposed to white. But, yep. but not when it comes to narrative, not when it comes to story. Look, man, when, when Black Panther came out, I, and not a single other white person on the planet who I'm aware of was like, ah, they're putting no. black people in this movie. <laughs> now, one thing I will say is I did make fun of some of the promotion for that film because they're saying this is the most diverse film ever made because 97% of the cast is black. And I was like, wait a <laughs> minute. That's how what diversity means. But I was like, cool. And I saw the film and I enjoyed the film. I thought it was good. Yep. That is an entirely different thing from saying like, we're going to take a character who was white and then say that like this character is no longer white. That's when people get annoyed. Yeah. Now, part of where I think all of this comes from, and we were touching on this earlier just with respect to narratives and the way people look at history, is the stories that we tell matter to us a lot and they influence our behavior. You know, one human being can only live one lifetime. So there's only so much wisdom we can collect based on our own experiences. And what stories do is they amalgamate experiences other people have had into a single narrative structure so that you can internalize important lessons from the past. And everyone has stories that matter to them. So if you are Christian, the stories that matter to you are the ones in the Bible and the stories of the lives of the saints throughout history. And other stories can matter to you as well. It's not necessarily the exclusion of others. So the story of America being founded can matter to you a lot. The story of the Second World War can matter to you a lot. The story that seems to matter the most to basically everyone in the culture right now is the story of the civil rights era and also the story of slavery in the United States. And that's an issue because while those stories are important, when you only tell those to the exclusion of other stories, it oh, yeah. restructures the way that people think about the world they live in. And what they end up trying to do is capture this civil rights era nostalgia by applying it to modern movements. So we saw this all throughout the normalization of homosexual behavior that we saw oh, yeah. in the 90s and 2000s, which was this is just like what black nope. people were going through. Doing it right, right now. It's like, like, firstly, all right, there was no closet for black people to be yeah. in. You didn't can't, can't come really out as black. One. Exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's entirely different. Also, a person does not choose to be black. Now, I yeah. understand the argument that they made was, well, people don't choose to be gay either. That is an extremely complicated claim because homosexuality isn't simply a predisposition to be attracted to someone of the same sex. It's acting on that behavior with right. another man. Right. Right. And then on top of that, they also claim, well, people are born gay, but people are only straight because of social conditioning. Now, hold on. The narrative is completely falling apart here. But the reason they have to hold on to they're born this way and there's nothing they can do to change it is because they need this to be an analog for the civil rights movement. They Absolutely. need to feel as if by promoting a homosexual lifestyle or a transgender lifestyle, they're doing the same thing that people who desegregated were doing. Yeah, I mean, that's why uh, I always uh, make fun of activists all the time. I say it's like the occupation for losers. But, you know, you look at like the generation that it came kind of behind. occupation for losers. That's it. Yeah. Like, that yeah. is it. Yeah, you know, but, you know, these guys that like a lot of these young folk, for example, they never really had to experience um, any like um, anything like my grandmother and all those guys had to go through where they actually living in the South through Jim Crow and all, all yeah. that sort of stuff. They pretty much had it made. We we were over that hump. At least I thought we were certainly in the 90s, uh, largely over definitely with the racial stuff. 
However, because they didn't do that, it's almost like they're trying to overcompensate, right? Yes. And they're making stuff up, finding boogeyman left left to right. Why you think the way these people talk? Definitely, me living in Texas of all places, you think there's a clansman like any corner that I run that I I walk out and they just come at the bush and just try to attack me. And it's like it's just not the case. But they need themselves to be like these freedom fighters because they haven't gone through anything. Yep. So they they dramatize events to make it seem like I, I think people like it's funny, like they they talk about that era. They certainly don't talk about it in the complexity and actually that it was like you have people that think like Brother Malcolm X was like, for example, just a more militant Martin Luther King Jr. And I was like, nah, he was far. They were they weren't. This is why they only one picture of them being together, because they didn't really mess with each other like that. It's mm -hmm. a lot more a lot more to it. So they even are dishonest with the era in itself, but they always yeah. appeal to it. They always appeal to it because they look at it like, well, this was a, I mean, a core aspect of the country and the direction that it was going to go in. And they're trying to make their own and conjure up their own little movement right now. So in at least in history, it's almost narcissistic because in it going, I guess in the future, you know, they'll look at it like this was the moment. And I was a part of it where we we took it to the like, dude, no, you ain't going through absolutely nothing that's even remotely comparable to what had happened, happened there. And I would think that uh, black activists that were worth a damn were. You'd like to think that they at least would see that because they've hijacked your movement, right? Yeah. They've hijacked. They've hijacked your movement. They they've taken it. They said this is ours. I'm talking to, regarding the sexual deviancy, dude. They say yes. your movement is ours. This is ours, and we're going to yes. piggyback off it. I'm like, you think that you would take issue with that because they're conflating the experiences that are completely different. Because to, to your point, like I said, I can't hide. There's no hiding this. There's no guessing what it is that I am. Like when you see me, yeah. this is a completely different experience, and they took your stuff. Dude, this all right. This is so interesting because I was at, so I was actually writing a cartoon about this. We have a bunch in the works that are still being written right now, but on the fact that this weird merger has happened, where it's just been decided for the black community that LGBTQIAAP crap is in line with what the black community needs to have happen <laughs> yep. for them. It's in line with like BLM, which firstly it was also decided for the black community that they had to love like BLM, yeah. but it's so strange that this is all lumped together because when you look at the social attitudes of black Americans, according to surveys, they're much more conservative than white Americans oh, yes. are, especially oh, yes. with the question of sexual perversion yes. and sexual lifestyle choices, not across the board. Uh, I, and I think there are certain areas like when it comes to traditional marriage, where you see like a discrepancy between both cultures with respect to traditionalism, but man, with the, the gay issues, the mm -hmm. black community is far more likely to be on the more conservative side of that. And I remember this is something that I think it was Dave Chappelle who said this. He noticed there was a strange trend in Hollywood where they would put black men in dresses a lot. Dresses, yeah. yeah. And in my mind, that's literally what they're doing right now by trying to merge black movements with the LGBTQ agenda is they're like putting that black movement in a dress. Mm -hmm. Oh, that that that's about as accurate as as it could be, you know, and I don't think that it's any. It, I don't think it's a coincidence by any means that they try to parade those types um, uh, uh, around. You know what I mean? When you get the guy, what was that dude? I can't remember his name. Was it Billy Port? What is his name? The guy that played the that um, in that Cinderella movie. He was basically the godmother, but he's 
black and male and he's really really i can't remember oh his name oh my gosh and yeah. they, what did they dress him up like a little fairy yeah yeah oh like a, essentially uh, essentially and I, it's my, like, like how do you how can someone take like how could it be worth any amount of money to do that yeah you know yeah and, and it seems like i say it's a set of effort it's something that they're doing uh, uh certainly with 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 purpose where it comes to the, like the feminization or making you know uh, yeah you can argue men in general uh, but I think because of the point it is that you had just made, um, why it seems like even with definitely with the media stuff, they they seem to like almost target that that because it's like you guys got to get whipped in the shape because mm -hmm. you guys tend to be slanted one one way and against this movement. Well, so I, it, oh sorry. Well, I, I think there's also an increased predatory aspect there, which is it's known that there's much more of a problem with fatherlessness in the black community Absolutely. and the lack of a strong male role model in the home is going to make it more likely that the sons will be more easily targeted with this kind of perversion, right? You know, if, if a little black boy sees a, a black man wearing a dress on television, it's more likely to be the case that there isn't a dad in the house to say, no, that's not yep. what men do. You don't Very wear true. a dress. I think it's I think it's very very predatory in that sense. I think they're well aware of that, and it, there's a reason why that community is more specifically targeted with that stuff right now. Absolutely, I mean, um, I think that's that's fairly obvious, definitely when you consider like with the single motherhood and that being an issue anyway. Um, and you have basically a lot of black boys that are being raised uh, without male figures, uh, certainly at least minimum, not in their household. Um, so it makes them a very, very easy, easy target, which is why it's often leftist women, um, that are uh, seeming to promote a lot of this, a lot of this stuff. You don't generally, I mean, outside of like the whole Dwayne Wade stuff, you don't really see a whole lot of black men that are just like with those types of like youngsters Dude, and their children that are into that stuff. I, I have never, ever had a black person yell at me about pronouns, like ever, yeah. at least not, a, yeah. definitely not a black man ever in my life. So I, and I'll mention this, I live in Georgia, the, the area that I live in does have a very high black population. I know black people who lived through Jim Crow, who are much older, right? Who are in their, their sixties and seventies. Like there, there's a wide variety of people who I enact with on a daily basis when I'm back at my home base. And it could just be that we're in the South. I understand that there are a lot of differences there politically, but yeah, never been scolded over pronouns by a black person. That's like a white woman thing. It's very <laughs> much a white woman thing. And it's very much like an embarrassing white man who's trying to be in their good graces thing. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Like yeah. absolutely trying to, um, you know, where, where that's where the, um, you know, I don't want to call go as far as to call it self-hatred. Um, in, in that Wait, regard, I, but... I just, I hate to interrupt you, but I want to interject with a point because I, I just did something that might confuse people. I am not saying that like white woman equals bad. Cause that's another right. huge problem. But what I am saying is this is like, if we're being honest, this is very specifically. Well, a, yeah, a if we're going to talk about this disparity or, or makeup, let's be honest with it across the board. Yes. We certainly talk about it yep. with, uh, blacks as it pertains to other issues. Let's just yeah. be completely, completely yeah. honest with, but you have to be completely honest with it in order to like try to solve the solve the issue and absolutely understand at least with the shot callers what it is that they're doing and why it is they're making a concerted effort. i think that you and i both know um why the cultural aspect certainly is so so very important you know what i mean like and, and why it's you know i know you probably had those powwows with other conservatives that don't get it like they just nope. they they think that this just like this isn't important like this isn't important and I think this is why we conceded a lot of ground. Folks on our side conceded a lot of ground in that regard because it's not just that, yeah, there's been a long-term infiltration process. 
it's also been neglect um, by the, uh, let's say, non-leftists where they either demonized the culture or they acted like it wasn't important enough to be involved in. And this is why you got the setup. This is why we have to be honest about it. Absolutely. And this is why conservatives have to be very careful. Never, ever let a left wing person shame you out of caring about something that seems like a, an insignificant cultural issue, because the way they move the goalpost is by pushing things very slightly in their favor, just moving it a little just bit a little to bit. the left in a way where if you make a big deal out of that movement, you're seen as someone who's paranoid or who cares too much. But be perfectly aware of the fact that anytime the goal gets moved slightly back in our direction, they all lose their minds, okay? So this cultural stuff is really important. And that's why they're going after you more than they ever have before mm -hmm. now that you've started the Ripperverse and now that you've been incredibly successful with that. And I'd like to get into discussing some mm -hmm. of the success you've seen there in a moment here, but I want to mention this. I was talking earlier about how important the stories that we tell are. And even good stories can be told the wrong way or people yeah. can be overzealous about the way they try to follow those good stories. The reason so many young men went and fought in the Vietnam War is because the story they were operating on was, my dad saved Europe in the Second World War. That's a good story. It's good that, that happened. my grandfather fought in the Second World War. I am unbelievably proud of that part of my family history, of the fact that he liberated a concentration camp, of what he gave to the world in his effort to fight tyranny. In Europe. Okay, that said, the story was clearly misapplied when it was used to manipulate young people into yeah. thinking that fighting in Vietnam was going to be a worthwhile enterprise for the United States when it just turned out to be a complete disaster and a meat grinder that young men were needlessly thrown at uh, in the thousands. Yeah, no, 100%. And this is why it, it's so important. I mean, you look at the, you know, the left, the modern left, and how they use those stories and, and, and aspects of culture as their vehicle for normalizing as bad as behavior as we may think it is. Um, and it's even worse now because of, you know, we talked about using technology to our own individual advantage. They're doing the same. So this is why things seem accelerated, why it happened so fast. Like I look at the whole like transgender child thing, which isn't a thing. Um, it's just abuse. It's just child yeah, abuse. Yeah, it's, it's just call it, call it what it is. But you can't imagine having that conversation even five years ago, where it's like nope. someone would say with a straight face that, yeah, we're going to talk about mutila mutil mutilation of children. Yeah. Um, we'd have been like, no, you're, you belong under the prison because of because even, yeah. even suggesting that. And now people, including the medical community, especially the medical community, are saying this loud and proud with absolutely no consequences. So that's how it's you, you're, you're being shown that it's being accelerated. But you look at all the forms of different media, you know, you can you can see the breadcrumbs that they left trying to kind of implant and they're using it right now. You look at the Nickelodeons of the world and cartoon networks yep. and what it is type of stuff that they're put, putting out there to try to normalize these sorts of ideas with, with young folk. And it's not just with young folk, it's folk our age and, as well and people that just generally like to be entertained. They understand that it's probably their most important vehicle, which is why we can't ignore it, which is why it's I'm glad that there's folks like yourselves. I'm glad that there's folks on on our side of the aisle that are at least attempting to give it a shot to try to be influential and give people some sort some sort of option, because without that, it'd be even it'd be even worse. I think the time for neglect certainly isn't now, but we're seeing how it got us in trouble. 
you know, why, why people are not taking this stuff serious. Why we thought it was like, oh, it's just entertainment. Who cares? Like, you know, it's about doing this and doing that. It's like, well, these youngsters care. And now you see what, what it got you. Absolutely. No, I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. And when it comes to the trans issue, right, I, I've said this so many times, but there's zero evidence for any of the claims that the large medical institutions are making about any of this stuff being safe or beneficial for children. Now, I almost feel embarrassed explaining what I'm about to explain, because the fact that you should have to make a reasoned data based argument yeah. for not mutilating children is completely insane. Yeah. But I will say this just so everyone listening to this knows what talking points to use to refute them if they try to argue that all the scientific evidence is on their side. Firstly, the first developed nation to ever start doing this was the Netherlands. This is the first developed nation that ever started giving kids cross-sex hormones and puberty blockers to treat gender dysphoria. This was begun about 33 years ago now in 1990. What they have found through the course of this needless human experimentation on children is that mutilating somebody's body and transitioning them to the opposite sex or a very sad attempt at imitating the opposite sex does not decrease their suicidality, yes. which was the entire rationalization for why we were supposed to accept this. This decreases the suicide rate. It's healthy for them. Firstly, there has not been a single large-scale controlled randomized trial uh, for puberty blockers to be used as a method for treating dysphoria in the United States. So once again, just experimentation at best, right? We know what it actually is. It's child abuse, yes. but the best they can call it is experimentation and not medicine because there's no data that, that would say we should call it medicine. But also the most progressive countries in the world who started doing this first, which is to say the most sexually confused countries in the world in some <laughs> sense, who started doing this first had to admit there was not the medical benefit there that was claimed would be there. So they don't have a leg to stand on. There's no data to back up this point that there's any reason to do something so horrendous to a child. Yeah. And, and like uh, the, the fact that again, those rates are, it's, it's not even like they, they present it as if it's a fact. You hear people talk very loosely about this because I think they conflate their desires with, actuality like what's actually in like the reality and that is that there is in terms of the suicide rate there is no tr after they transition it is virtually the same you know what i mean so which sometimes obviously lower speaks, or yeah, sometimes yeah, higher exactly. Sorry, sometimes higher higher yes exactly yeah. and some the times that they have found differences have been higher so that shows that there's a fundamental issue there that is going completely unaddressed and instead we are opting to at least with young people um to to mutilate them and do irreversible damage both uh mentally and physically for and the reason they tell you i don't know if you know the story of chloe cole i had the benefit of uh speaking with her when she was uh on news and why it matters over at blaze and that was one of the points that if i'm not mistaken they were the medical and this is how it's really abusive the medical community is convincing the parents that your child might, because imagine hearing that information, right? Yep. Your child might do something to themselves and self harm that we there's no coming back from, right? Therefore, you must go through this. You and must harm like, them in a way they can't come back from, so that they yeah. won't harm themselves in a way they can't come way, back the, from. Way they can't come back from, right? Yeah. It's circular logic for sure. But you know that's how evil these people are, you know, and that they're convincing these these these, these parents. 
to do exactly that. And it's through fear. And imagine that in itself. And I think every individual, no matter where you're at on any sort of spectrum, you should at least be able to admit that that's jacked up, right? Yeah. That you have people weaponizing self-deletion and trying to get you to do things that are degenerate as all get out, but trying to authorize and legitimize and normalize these this bad behavior. And it, the only person that's being threatened is yourself to yourself. That's insane. We wouldn't apply. We wouldn't say that's reasonable in any other given circumstance. If someone was like, I'm going to do something to my, we like, all right, we, we're going to, we need to address that. We call a that a personality problem. disorder, right? When, when, when it's done by an individual, it's a personality disorder. When it's done by a group, it's just leftism. Yep. 100%. And that's the problem. Like, and it's like, uh, and it, again, uh, they've been successful. They've been successful because now we have this, we have to have this conversation. We have to bring up that. That data, when, like I said earlier, I don't even think even five years, we're like, at least in America, we're like, we're not even, that, that's not an option. Like the fact that people now are legitimizing and normalizing child mutilation, like child this is le legit. First they said, it's funny, at first it was like, it's not happening, right? And then we, you know, we see all the evidence of, of doctors doing top and bottom surgery to minors, right? Yeah. Uh, and now they're saying, well, yes, yeah, it's, it's it's happening a lot and it's good that it's happening. Exactly. People well, are crazy. This is an argument they'll still try to make. They'll say, well, gender transitions aren't being done to minors. OK, well, the gender transition starts with puberty blockers. Yes. OK, if, if they're young enough, you're not giving puberty blockers to adults. They've already gone right. through puberty. Like by definition, if puberty <laughs> blockers are being used, you are transitioning minors. It's yes. not even a question like you. No. You are. Engaging in a kind of medical intervention to prevent normal, healthy biological development. Okay, that is a medical transition. That is beginning a medical transition. That's a horrible injustice. It's a terrible thing to do to somebody who doesn't know any better. And I've been really trying to hammer into people's heads that this is all about stories, and stories are incredibly important because the way that these doctors terrify these parents into having this done to their children is by telling them a story. You can either have mm. a trans kid or you can have a dead kid. The yes. story they tell them is the story of their child's death. That is sick. It yes. is manipulative. And it is nowhere borne out by any data. No, yeah. that, that's the sad part about it. They have no leg to stand on. Mm -hmm. But if I can make a just a pitch, like I said, to, to anybody, conservative, whatever you what, you're a rational person. That sees this as a fundamental problem. It just goes to show how things just having the bright and best ideas is just not good enough. Right. And I get it. You know, we can we can debate. We can dispute because a lot of these guys have nothing to stand on. There's no often data backing anything. It is that no. they that they advocate uh, any in, in anything. But in if anything, let's say this. Tracing it back, COVID showed you the same thing. Right. That That showed you that you can convince a large populace of people. With stuff that doesn't make sense when I I ain't the smartest person in the world. I don't <laughs> pretend like I am. But if I can in March of 2020, look at just data that was available from countries like South Korea and I can say, OK, yeah, don't react like this because it doesn't make any sense. Right. Yeah. Yet we see what happened. It goes to show that just me being able to out debate these people or having the better ideas is simply not good enough. It is going to yeah. take some sort of cultural um, dare I say representation, which is a term that the left uh, suddenly loves to utilize 
and us being there to be able to fin fin this off because a lot of folks just do not possess the I, I hate to be as blunt like this but mental capacity to be oh, able sure. to 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 like see beyond mm -hmm. just uh just exactly that it's they're emotional and um emotion enough in and the left is very convincing with their definitely with all of their imagery they're very convincing in some of the things that is they advocate we have to be kind of right there with them if we're going to be any remotely anything remotely su successful in trying to kind of turn back the dance of time on on this ridiculousness that we see certainly uh in this country it's it's interesting because you're you're right about that. And I got to say you're smarter than me because in March of 2020, I was still really on the fence about a lot of the COVID stuff. I, I think I, I was willing to believe it was going to be really bad. And, and in some yeah. ways it was. But the thing is, the lockdowns were not the solution that it was claimed that they would be. And I was trapped in Chicago for a little bit or in the Chicago area because they shut a lot of things down. I couldn't get another rental car to go back down to Georgia. And so it was nice to have time with my family, but I was effectively trapped. And it was interesting yeah. because as soon as I got back down to Georgia, it was like I was in America again. I went from this weird dystopia to the country that I had lived in uh, for my entire life up until March of 2020. Things were a little bit different, but people were pretty much not obeying any of the lockdown yeah. rules down there. And at first, you know, I, I remember noticing there was some following of the rules and people would yell at you to wear a mask. But when it really all fell apart for me, was when BLM was rioting. Oh, man. Oh, it, man. Because here's the thing. I Even then, I thought the lockdowns might not be the best approach, but I want to be prudent about this because I don't know anything about epidemiology or like disease control or how to handle these situations. But when I saw that all of the same people who were telling us that we needed to trust them, that the experts were in their ear, and that's how they were making these decisions, and then they turned around and said, it's good for BLM to be marching right now, and they even got doctors yes it was, it was hundreds of doctors they were standing in, outside cheering them on yeah to to sign a letter saying this is a worthwhile public health risk i went oh my goodness the whole thing was nonsense because of course whenever there's any kind of disease the question is what risks are we willing to take right and that's not a question for medical scientists to make per se the medical scientist tells us what the risks are and then we decide what we're willing to risk to avoid the risks of the disease. Right. And what we were told is this disease is so bad that you need to risk your spiritual life by not going to church anymore. You need to risk your family's livelihood by not going to work anymore. Uh, but you don't need to risk having a child because we're going to leave the abortion clinics open so you can still kill your baby. Uh, and you, you don't need to risk not getting liquor. We're going to leave the liquor stores mm -hmm. open, which by the way, I appreciate that they were open. Wasn't happy church was closed though. Uh, and it, it just become trans, it became transparently obvious that the reason that they were shutting down churches and places of work wasn't because the disease was too horrible for us to risk doing those things. It was because they didn't value those things. Yes. Yeah. And that they told on themselves with that. I mean, yeah, the gyms, right, where a lot, a lot of people down. go. Right. Yeah. Th that's where a lot of people go to take care of their mental mental issues. Um, and same with, with the liquor issues. store, to be fair, Eric. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of people go there, too. But a lot <laughs> of folks go to the gym for that. But, you know, we talk about like the co comorbidities and those issues and the, the people 
that that are, let's say, most likely to have a severe reaction, um, be hospitalized and all that were folks that probably need to be in the gym. And yeah. that was the first place that they shut down. Yeah. You know what I mean? So they, they made it apparently obvious that, you know, it, to me, it was more about like, obviously, control is a big, big issue with that. But also, it was almost like they were showing what they could get away with. It was like we, we can get away with doing some things that are unspeakable. Right. Where you're talking about people's lives being destroyed. And there's not there's no recovery from that. We we will be feeling the in, impact. A lot of people will be feeling the impact for this for probably multiple decades. Yeah. Generations. Um, yes. You know, for for what what was done. And they figure like, well, we get people far, far more reliant upon us. Um, and also we we treat ourselves as if we are the authority. And I think a lot of people now more than ever understand the sham that is with the medical institution. But COVID kind of, you know, now we're going into like the sexual deviancy and all this weird stuff that the medical community is also authorizing and they're presenting as if it's a good good thing. You show just how much of it is just uh, uh, largely, largely nonsensical. And like I say, going back to the original point, it's like this is why it's so important that we do have some sort of level of influence because that's a difficult thing to now that they have the establishments that people look to look at as if they are you know, the authority, the legitimate uh, institutions, they have control of that. Um, so again, even if it doesn't make sense, how do you combat the the people that, hey, we're in charge? Like people still look to us for the uh, information information that is legitimate, right? The CDCs of the world, WHOs of the world, they still look to, look to them and they're saying this, therefore, why? And then, you know, granted, we had like the social media issues as well where the folks that were a part of those communities that were saying things against it, well, because they also controlled uh, social media, they can knock that stuff down, right? So you can get eliminated, you can get uh, your, your account banned, you can get taken off of social media because you were presenting something that was alternative to the narrative because they controlled that too. That's so having right. that level of influence is just so important to them. And this is why, you know, we can't, a lot of conservatives, libertarians have this with the worst as well, where they try to, and there's a little projection there as well, where they project intentions good um, on to folks that really are their ideological enemies. Yep. And they try to navigate life as if they have that same sort of approach. It's, the, it, it's akin to entering into a boxing ring or a boxing match with someone that has told you, I will low blow you, right? My, my, my gloves are loaded. I've bought off the judges, right? And I bought off the referee. And you still go in there and you say, okay, I am going to try to better fight man you. win. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> You're going to lose every every sort of time. Yep. No, that, that's absolutely right. You mentioned the, the experts, the CDC, the medical community. I mean, the uh, ex-CDC chief came out and said that the entire debate on lab leak was squashed from within the CDC. This was the chief. This is somebody at the top. And he was silenced when he tried to talk about this. Mm -hmm. So when people say, do you think all of our institutions would, their kids and grandkids were not able to visit them. We know, we know based on studies that have been done that your immune system is weaker when you're depressed, when your morale has not been yes, boosted yes. by Absolutely. relatives visiting you. And we cut people off from that. How many died just from that? Who knows? Yeah. How, will, how will we ever know? How will we ever know? It, it's a difficult question to to answer. But the point is there was a narrative and the narrative was bad. And for as long as they can control the narratives and tell the stories, people are going to be doing 
bad things because they're going to be going along with that narrative without noticing or without reflecting on it critically. You know, Voltaire was not a wise man. He didn't say wise things. But one thing he said, which I will repeat, is that those who can get you to believe absurdities will make you commit atrocities. That's true. That's why yeah. we need to tell stories. That's why they're so angry at you now that you are telling stories as opposed to just giving edgy political hot takes. Yeah. So yeah. this one thing I, I kind of, I'll let you respond to that, but then I want to talk about Ripperverse. I want to talk yeah. about the stories you're making. I want to talk yeah. about how successful you guys were as soon as you launched this new campaign to start giving people stories other than the ones that they were being fed by go in there and you say okay i am going to try a better man you. win yeah. yes exactly <laughs> you're going to lose every every sort of time yep no that, that's absolutely right you mentioned the the experts the cdc the medical community i mean the uh ex-cdc chief came out and said that the entire debate on lab leak was squashed from within the cdc this was the chief this is somebody at the top and he was silenced when he tried to talk about this yep. so when people say do you think all of our institutions would be lying to us about these things? Okay, well, we actually know that they were. We know yeah. that they were. We know that they were squashing these discussions because there was serious political motivation on their part for people to not know what had really happened there. Uh, you can argue about what those motives were or why it might have made sense for them to do that, but we know they were lying to us, right? And we, we know that Fauci admitted the lying in public. This is before any leaks. This is before any whistleblowers. Fauci himself even admitted to lying. He said, I told people they didn't need these N95 masks because I yep. wanted there to be more of them for medical professionals, thus tacitly uh, acknowledging that he wasn't telling people to do what was in their best interests with respect to what he believed would help them survive this pandemic, but what he thought was part of uh, pursuing the greater good, even if that meant lying to people. That's a very scary road to, to tread on, man. And the narrative throughout COVID was you are going to kill grandma yeah. if you try to live a normal life. If you try to go, if you, and it was always trivialized, right? Well, you just want to get a haircut. You just want to go to Applebee's. These are no. the jokes I heard over and over again. No, no, people wanted to be able to feed their families. Yes. I'm sorry that. Not everyone is a college student who can afford to take time off of class because they're unemployed anyway and sit on their computer and make memes about how stupid people who want to go back to work to provide for their families are. Some people have real concerns about whether they're going to be able to pay their mortgage, whether they're going to be able to afford food for their family, whether there's going to be enough left at the grocery store for them, yeah. what's going to happen to the business that they built. But it was always boiled down to you want to get a haircut, you want to go to Applebee's, and grandma is going to die. Ignore the fact that it was the left in New York. It was not a Republican administration that was locking the elderly into nursing homes and getting them yes. killed. And that this is without even addressing the fact that untold numbers of elderly uh, people died because their kids and grandkids were not able to visit them. We know. We know based on studies that have been done, that your immune system is weaker when you're depressed, when your morale has not been yes, boosted yes. by Absolutely. relatives visiting you. And we cut people off from that. How many died just from that? Who knows? Yeah. How, will, how will we ever know? How will we ever know? It, it's a difficult question to, to answer. But the point is, there was a narrative, and the narrative was bad. And for as long as they can control the narratives and tell the stories, people are going to be doing bad things because they're going to be going along with that narrative without noticing or without reflecting on it critically you know, Voltaire was not a wise man. He didn't say wise things. But one thing he said, which I will repeat, is that those who can get you to believe absurdities will make you commit atrocities. 
That's true. That's why yeah. we need to tell stories. That's why they're so angry at you now that you are telling stories as opposed to just giving edgy political hot takes. Yeah. So yeah. This one thing I, I kind of I'll let you respond to that, but then I want to talk about Ripperverse. I want to talk yeah. about the stories you're making. I want to talk about how successful you guys were as soon as you launched this new campaign to start giving people stories other than the ones that they were being fed by the the, the traditional comic book industry, which by the way is for those who are unaware, bizarrely oh, woke man. even compared to Dude. other traditional uh, producers of media. Like television media is woke. Film media is woke. Comic media is Dude. somehow even more woke than both, which is not oh. what you would have expected. No, nah, I mean, and, uh, and someone make the argument that that's where a lot of it kind of started to manifest, where you had these people um, just really beating you over the head with a lot of this just just nonsense and using classic comic book characters in order to, uh, again, as a vehicle to tell those stories because nobody will listen to it otherwise. Right. So for me, with the Ripperverse, it was I was like, look, I get it. People like Marvel, people like DC. Right. Um, we have to understand that they have been compromised. It's just not a secret. They've been long compromised and they are writing that people that probably shouldn't be anywhere near these characters that are writing stuff that is really just trying to make it seem as if their social political views are the the views and the righteous views okay um even if it makes sense for that character or it doesn't make sense that has nothing to do which is often what that's what got it for me it was like okay batman would never say that captain america would never say that he never do that but Tanahiti Coates would, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. so so when he's writing the character, you see a lot of that in his little Harriet Beecher Stowe Award for social justice start to really seep in when he makes, I don't know, Jordan Peterson Red School. Red School. Right? I know. You know, it was like so that, crazy. None of those nothing Jordan Peterson says maps up. Like, I'm not a comic nerd, right? I'm not a huge fan of these things. I don't dislike them by any means, but I all right, I know enough about Red Skull to know that he doesn't tell people clean your room, you know. <laughs> You have yeah. to be a better man. It's like really the Red Skull became an online like influencer, yeah, academic and intellectual. But it goes to tell like that bastardization, man, was it was no it knew no bounds. So for me, Ripperverse was me saying, look, I'll give it a shot. You know, this is stuff that I've been a fan of my my entire life, essentially. Uh, I am a writer, I've been a writer, and why not try, you know, to do it myself? And as I mentioned earlier. You know, with the means being decentralized and, you know, the growth of, of social media and it just allowed me to be able to to make that a reality. And you had a lot of people that had been a part of the industry, like Gabriel Taib, who was the writer, who was excuse me, the artist of of Isom as far as the color, the color work. He's a color artist, the colors. And, you know, he had just left D.C. He was actually on a lot. Of people don't know this. He was on that project where they made Superman's son game. You know, he was on that, that's you know, right. and he that's what did it for him. He was like, this is what is this? What, what What is it that we're doing? So you have even writers, artists, colorists that are being disenfranchised that understand this is this is a, a fundamental problem. So I looked at it like I can correct multiple issues. I can correct the content problems that just plague this industry with the with the woke stuff, but also just with the sheer just lack of continuity, lack of lack of what's canon, just other like creative frustrations it is that I've had with it, but also the economics of it all, right? I believe there's a lot of good people that are able to do artwork 
and they're having to feel dirty doing the stuff for people that they know probably either despise them. They can't do their best work because how can you? You are artists. You understand. Yeah. When you feel like you are like, imagine being an artist, like working for Marvel of DC and you know, something is like, if you come out and say something that is even mildly different from what the authoritarian left wants you to say, you're done. Yeah. Your job's done. Right. You'll, yeah. you'll never get another commission from either of these companies. You can't do your work walking on those types of eggshells and they all are holding ideological guns to each other, waiting to cancel each other uh, anyway, because they think that it's advantageous to them. So I look at it like we were able to correct multiple issues by just giving the audience what it is that they want, which is why I think the it was so it was so successful. It, it, it got which is what comics have been missing for a very long time, where you start to get like people that maybe weren't they knew of comic characters, to be fair, like Batman, Superman. Those have become like a part of American culture as opposed yeah. to just being in comics. Right. So. Maybe they wanted to get into it, but they felt either intimidated or, or whatever. So we we crossed the entire spectrum. We had longtime comic book lifers that got in on, on Isom number one. And then we had people that had made Isom number one their first ever comic book. Right. And I think that's why they despised, you know, the biggest comic book Reddit forum. Right. Uh, our comic book. You you couldn't talk about Isom. You got banned. Uh, the biggest comic book Reddit, media. Yeah. 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 Uh, the biggest comic book like CBRs of the world, the biggest comic book like um, media, if you want to call them access media, refuse to touch it, even though our sales, it's not that they're comparable. They're better. Let's let's be clear. We sold 60,000 uh, uh, that beats anything that they put out in terms of what they would deem as a graphic novel, not like a five dollar comic, a, like you're graphic a whole book. Yes, a whole book like what Isom One was, we destroyed them. Like that Marvel, DC, even with the mangas, right? Who, which have now really? done better. Yes, yeah, we how sold many copies, How many copies do they usually sell? So usually you're talking in the tens. Like it's not that they're not that difficult to beat. You're talking like maybe like ten thousand and below. Sometimes wow. you get like a like a manga or something, which you do like twenty. But yeah. we did 60, you know Dude, what I mean? Like in, in that incredible. given period of time. So we, we saw a lot of success. And like I said, dude, I've not I've been called pretty much every name in the book that you could possibly think of, certainly oh, from yeah. the anti-racist. Um, <laughs> I've been called everything you could imagine. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, this is arguably the most apolitical thing that I've done, because backwards, obviously, you know, with our band, we had the messaging and all that. You guys stuff. were yeah, really an and cap band. You guys were very yeah, yeah exactly in your right? politics with that. This, I'm like, hey, I just want to make good material, um, and I don't hate you, right? If you're if you're not a leftist, I don't hate you. It's one of the more apolitical things it is that I've ever done, and I've gotten the most hate doing this, and I think that's because. It's, uh, they know how important this is. They, exactly. they absolutely know how important this is. No, well, that, that's what scares them the most, right? The, the possibility of someone being able to shake up the hegemonic narrative by telling their own stories, because we can sit here all day long and give people facts and logic, gang, which is great. <laughs> I think it's important to be able to do that. I think that it's incredibly important to have people who are talking about this stuff for a living, which is why I also talk about it for a living. Yeah, I'm not just making cartoons. Yeah. And you, yeah, you talk about it for a living, too. You're not just doing the comics and the music. You're also having conversations with people about these things. You're speaking in public. I think that's all well and good. But you've got to back it up, I think, with some kind of creative uh, enterprise. I'm not also I'm not saying everyone who talks politics has to also have a creative enterprise. But True. what I am saying is a political movement needs creative types in it to try to promote the message in a way that's going to be received by your average person. Absolutely. At the end of the day, most people are not 
going to sit there and listen to all of the points you make and then evaluate those points based on somebody else's and then decide which ideology to adopt. Some people will do that. That's great. Okay, most people won't. What they want to know is how do these values play out in the real world? And one way you can help to express that is through story. Yes. Yes, 100%. That's the probably the most effective way to do it. You know what I mean? It 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 makes yeah. it contained. Well, there's a reason uh, Jesus used parables so often. Bingo. Bingo, you know, uh but it, you know, it you you can convey that message and you can contain it and you can give it to people in a way that's more like like uh digestible. Um, if you will. And this is what I love about like what it is that I've been able to do in the multitude of different like entertainment assets with like backwards. And and then you leave into the comic book space. Like I make material that resonates with that particular audience. And, and you know, I, I've never been of the opinion. Some people are, but I've never been of the opinion that, you know, everybody has to be kind of people that value some sort of like liberty in some case have to be on like one accord. Right. They have to be yeah. like everything they have to do it the same exact way I, I disagree with that my point is is like meet people where they're at and yes. like you yeah. for example you have access maybe to an audience that i will never resonate with and vice versa yeah for that's sure. our that should be used to our advantage not with us trying to become more of a like a, a of a hive mind in a sense that we have to produce in the same exact way we don't have to do that at all so uh, that's how the way I see this. So maybe, yeah, a lot of people might not care about comics. Maybe, maybe they don't. You know what I mean? And and that's cool. But like, even the comics have their own genres. Like, you know, we have friends like friends Razor Fist and and and, and, uh, and uh, my man's G Prime. Like, they're doing their dude, comics. He's hilarious. Just, yeah, G, yes, dude, he's hilarious. He's they just made what three almost three hundred fifty thousand dollars on their collaborative uh, comic book, and it's more of a western. Right. So that's not necessarily what it is that we're producing. And maybe we'll enter into that sphere, but not initially. Yeah. So you have someone at least approaching it that, again, that has kind of our views that is approaching it. Maybe maybe they're not beating the audience over the head with it in the story and the material making it is like modern, modern politics. Maybe they're not doing that, but it is something that at least the creators, because what happens is it's like they like they did with us. Somebody Googles who it is that we are. And they're like, what is this guy about? What is the writer about? What is this? What is this artist about? What is this the singer about? And then they start to go down that down that rabbit hole. So oftentimes you're 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 the, the thing that you're producing doesn't even have to be a direct reflection. It can be, but it doesn't, no, even doesn't, doesn't have to right. be a direct reflection to at least have that level of influence. And that's like I said, what it is that that we're missing. But that's what the Riververse at least um, at least uh, uh, attempts to do. And, yeah, it's not. And cap the comics. That's not what it what it is. I'm not <laughs> trying to I'm not trying to do that by any means. It's just a guy that does value liberty that has created something, and I'm trying to be a part of the solution as opposed to always griping um, about the problem. And it worked. It resonated with a lot of a, a lot of people, and it, it shows that little old me. You know what I mean? A guy that they said shouldn't have been able to do something. What it was, I should not have been able to compete with them on their own grounds. Look at what it is. You didn't just compete with them, dude. You're crushing them. (laughs) Exactly. That makes me so happy. That makes me so happy, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. So tell me about this. Like, how how quickly did you reach this goal? How soon did you know that you would be that? Like, what were you hoping for? To match their numbers or get close to their numbers? Or did you know from the beginning you were just going to crush them? No, I had no idea. I can't be, I could be as cocky and confident (laughs) as I like to be. That, that, I didn't think that. Look, I went into it. I invested what 
hundred. I, I invested almost actually three hundred thousand dollars of my own money. Wow. To make this thing come up, get off the ground. So that's not just with the artwork and all that. That's all the that's warehouse stuff because we're our own distributors. So it's basically two businesses in one, right? Because we wow. distribute our own comics. That's huge. So, yeah. so I had that element that we had to make sure I paid for. So the employees, payroll, and and you know the creation of the story and all the 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 uh, the lawyers and all that that I had to get involved. I spent about that much, uh, as well as to get the book the book printed and merchandise and all that stuff. And, you know, I was like, look, it's the first book. If I make which was out there goal anyway, I was like $100,000. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. You know, we'll grow from there. Mm-hmm. Man, we hit when we hit a we hit a million dollars in 30 hours, 30 hours. Dude. Yeah. Good like 30 for hours. You. Yeah. Good so, for you. That's that's a pretty fast turnaround, man. Yeah. Like quick. So that's that. But I'm not going to sit here and lie and be like, yeah, oh, I expected. No, I had no idea. I, I was not expecting that. That just. It just showed that, you know, it really resonated with the audience, Um, you know, and you can probably feel me on this. I think sometimes it's also not good enough just to be an alternative. Right. It also you got to be good. You got to be good. You know, uh, you, you talked about even with the on the voice acting tip earlier, like it, it has to be something yeah. that people can identify with and, 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 and think, OK, that's that that's something that's competitive or something that I can get with. This is why I went and got two industry veterans to help me with the artwork, right? When getting getting Cliff Richards to do the actual line art and getting Gabe Eltai, these guys had done work for Marvel and DC. They had been in the industry. Um, so we put up something that was competitive. So it was undeniable. You saw that and you were like, wow, okay, he's not playing around. This isn't just but, some little yeah. passing project. This He's he's legit, right? That's and I think that's what that's what did it. So, you know, I didn't exp- I didn't anticipate even going into this next campaign was to drop next month. I, I'm I don't know. I, I really I really don't know. I'm just trying to do the best possible work that I that I can. And I think, yeah, we'll see a level of success. But who knows how successful that it's going to be. But, yeah, I'd be a liar if I sat up there and told you yeah, I was expecting to sell 60,000 books in 75 days, like not even close. That's crazy. Not even close Good for you, man. I, that, that's Appreciate massive. I, I didn't even know that. So I, I didn't. I did not know that. That's how much you were able to pull within thirty hours. Thirty but hours. Again, yeah. That shows you what you were making is good, and there was massive demand for it. There's yeah. massive demand for it. And then I guess my my next question would be, uh, when you launched the crowdfunding campaign, it was also very successful. Yeah. So this is what this is what we did. What we did was I, I said, let me do it this way. I have the, I have the investment money. So why don't I do it this way? What crowdfunding introduced in not just comics, but really in other different industries, is that it was a level of transparency that the mega corpos do not offer. They just simply don't. However, a lot of the audience likes that. They like to see that number go up. They like to see updates. They like to see who they're supporting, all that. So I said, you know what? I'll take some of the visual stuff and I'll take the flavor of what a traditional crowdfund is. But it's not technically that. It's more of a pre-order campaign, which is why. You know, again, I had already put up the money and we already had the books before I even launched it. You know what I mean? Before I even launched it, everything was already ready, which is why we were able to. As soon as the campaign ended, the the orders went out. Right. Mm -hmm. They went they went out immediately that uh, after 75 days. So for me, it's like I, I I think also that worked to our advantage. There does seem to be sometimes a stigma with with the crowdfunding stuff where, you know, late you're not delivering and all that stuff so we got to avoid all that because i was like hey here i already invested you're gonna get your books starting on this date you know and i did have to account for way many more books than i initially anticipated but we made it work we made it work so um that was kind of our approach 
And that was risky because we housed on Riververse.com. That was our own. That was also probably one of the biggest, probably the third biggest investment that was part of it was me investment investing in my own website. So with the servers, as well as the, yeah. the we didn't use Indiegogo or Kickstarter. We said we'll just build our own version of Good that. Good for right? you. So you that's that's expensive, man. That stuff is yeah. difficult. So we built we have a paywall on freedomtunes.com where people can like become members and get extra content, but it took a while and it was expensive. And and I was, I actually got a pretty good price on it and it was still expensive. Yeah. It, it, it can really get Dude, up there. Dude, it gets up there. You You're know, talking like it can get into like tens of thousands of dollars yes, or something literally. like that. Yeah. Like we spent probably on upward of a hundred thousand wow. um, on that, on that alone between like the server related stuff and the development, yeah. you know what yeah. I mean? And the maintenance. Cause yeah. you know, everybody knows like, we probably would have broke it before 30 hours, but you know, these guys are crashing my site because it was just so much traffic that was hitting it. Yeah. Um, and that's the type of stuff that we had to work out with, 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 with kinks and stuff. So that was a risky stuff. And there was a lot of people that tried to talk me off their list. And I'm not saying they were all bad and it was like bad intentions, but some people were like, well, that's a little too risky. You should, maybe you should just use Indiegogo or use Kickstarter, which is what everybody else is doing. And I said, Nah, I, I just I, I'm hard headed. I was like, no, let me do it. My I got the money, so you know, let me just try to do it myself. So for you, it worked man. out. It worked out. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. So let me ask you this: What did you do to promote this this crowdsourcing that you were doing, this crowdfunding that you were doing, to make it so successful? Were you just talking about this on your stream all the time? Were, did you start discussing it months ahead of time? How did so? How did you get so many people to flock to this? That's a, so it's a good question. So for for us. You know, I started laying, <laughs> I, I, I dropped a little bit like a, a drop nuggets. I said, this is going to be a thing, right? I said, I'm, I'm starting Riververse and this is going to be a thing. And I think the way that we came out was probably the most important part of it, right? So we came out with a trailer. It was a welcome to the Riververse trailer was the name of it, right? So I came out, was, I think it was on that Friday. It was like July, July the 9th, I think it was. And I came out with that. And what it was, was, you know, we, we shot a like a professional video where I was telling everybody what's the company about. Right. We have like, for example, this thing we call the Riververse uh, Code of Ethics, where it's like these are things you can hold us to. This is what we're trying to do. You, these are things you hold us to. You know, this company has been completely compromised in the event we deviate from this stuff. Why this is a thing. All that stuff. So Can I it ask got you people, what the things that you were telling people. Uh, so you be we from? had three things, uh, three uh, three things that we focused on. They were centered around respecting the customer, which you don't seem to see that at all. With uh, I mean, that's but like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, re respecting the customer. Ratty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you know, respecting the customer was one of them. The second was Canon um, and continuity. That was a big. That was a, a big uh, aspect because that's a big frustration with a lot of people with comics, including myself. Uh, where it's like none of the stories matter anymore. It's like, yeah, they'll just redo it with multiversal nonsense or they'll like retcon it out of existence doing doing that sort of stuff. So, you know, I was letting the audience in on this is what the company itself, this is before they even saw anything, was about. And we followed that stuff up with um, a trailer where I would talk while I was talking about it and it was showing people like some of the artwork, who the characters, synopsis of the first story. I saw uh, number one, but it was so undeniable. I think that was the biggest part of it. It was like it wasn't just, hey, here's a guy that's trying to do something. This was like, no, everything top to bottom was done at a level that you would have thought Marvel was producing it. You would have thought DC was uh, was producing it. And it looked like 
because in some ways it did. It had the money, the same similar money behind it. So I think people saw, hey, it's this comic book life, or it's not just some Joe Blow. This is something that yeah. he's genuinely interested in. But also, it's a guy that is letting us know who it is that he is. So they felt comfortable with buying, even though, you know, yeah, it, there's always a level of risk involved with it, with the first product, right? Because we sh we tried to give you enough to make an informed uh, an informed purchase, but not so much that we just gave it all away. Would you like a lot of movie trailers do that now where you're like seeing the entire movie in the, yeah, in the freaking trailer. You know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. So we didn't we didn't do that. We gave them gave them enough to make an informed decision. So I think it was all like that stuff combined. And I, I will be honest, a lot of it has to do with the mainstream comic book industry has turned off so many people like so they in turn helped me out because I was simply like, I'm just not going to do what they're doing. You know what I mean? Like I, I I will produce what it is that you want for you, but I'm not trying to replicate exactly what it is that they're doing. Now we recognize that these characters have been bastardized to the point to where they're unrecognizable. I'm not going to do that. You know what I mean? And that sort of helped. So it was the climate, the climate was a big part of it, but also just, we I spent a lot of money, man. And I, I, I tried to make this. I presented this as if it was the most I couldn't have done better. Let's just say that. Like I walked away from three hundred dollars, three hundred thousand dollars in a hole. But, yeah. you know, right, right when we announced this, I was like, I gave it all. I gave it the absolute best at during this period of time that I could have possibly done it. And well, yeah, I mean, the audience you, respond yeah. to it. And, and when you've got that kind of skin in the game, there's definitely extra pressure on you to promote it. Yeah. Make sure it really works. Well. Yeah. Yeah. So we did the streaming element. So to your point on that, like, yeah, we did a lot of streaming and all that. But in some cases, it was just it was that whole thing was organic because we got a lot of people that, for example, saw like Fox covered it. Blaze covered it um, a, a, as well. And some other guys, I think, in Newsweek, some other like big platforms covered it, but they didn't, co they didn't cover it to make it successful. They covered it because it was successful. Right. So we hit the million dollars and we were just on everybody's radar. So Fox calls like, uh, what in the world is going on? What is this? Like, what, 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 like, so they wanted to talk, talk about this sort of stuff. So it was as grassroots and as organic of a company launch, at least in comics that we probably, uh, ever seen and even still to this day we try to make sense of it because we want to replicate what it is that we did got got right but a lot of it was just we couldn't we couldn't have possibly like sketched it out in the way that it did it was just so organic yeah well, that's what it sounds like and i think this is something people are definitely craving because there's so much contrived authenticity in media mm. today where they, they want you to feel like you're talking to people who rose up from the bottom and this is all grassroots when in reality there's some financing behind their yeah. videos or there's some large left-wing donor trying yep. to promote what they're doing and make it seem like it's what the average person wants so to actually have something that is just really a group of people who genuinely love what they're doing doing that thing because it matters to them and then also using the capital that they're receiving to the best of their ability to improve that product rather than yes. just pocket it yeah that really means a lot to people because you don't see it much anymore. Unfortunately. Yeah, no, the, I think the authenticity is a big part of it. I mean, look, think about the mystique. It's funny. Variety just did a did an article not too long ago talking about like the death of the movie star and why there's no young movie stars. And I, I blame a lot of that on social media. That's interesting. Um, be, yeah. 
because like the, the mystique is gone. You know what I mean? And they would try. Obviously, they don't they don't get it all the way because they they try to pin it on other things. I saw white one, nationalism like, is yeah white. yeah it, it'll be something like they won't get it right. They'll recognize the problem, but they'll uh, they'll attribute it to everything except what is the actual problem. Yeah, but people course. aren't getting. Like that. So what happens is a lot of stuff that they went to support and people that they support. COVID also showed you that when on a Schwarzenegger who is just like lifelong, like icon where everybody loved him and he's telling you, screw your freedoms. Right. Like yeah. people that, that turns a lot of people. So so a lot of people are looking for authenticity. They're looking for someone. And this is the advantage that I think that a lot of us independent folk have that the mega corporate entities simply can't replicate. And that is that not only do we have that direct line of sight with the audience, as I continue to say, but also just the level of transparency and being real, like we can give them that they can't. Right. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people are paying way more attention. I mean, Bud Light is, again, another example (laughs) of it (laughs) to where their dollar is going. So if you are presenting yourself as if it's you're someone that you are and they know right out from the get-go what it doesn't mean that they have to agree with everything it is you say um they can disagree with a lot but they know you're genuine they know it's not some like orchestrated nonsense you are just being you people can get be behind that and i think that was a big part of that's what a streaming element really really helped me because I do this all the time. I'm speaking to people. I'm interacting with, I'm very interactive with, with my audience. So they're That's getting cool. me. They're, they're not yeah. getting some, some guy that I need to be in order to get success, which is why a lot, a lot of these leftist streamers go crazy because you can imagine spending hours a day streaming every day, being someone that you're not right. That, that gets yeah. exhausting. This is why you, they you all, can, oh, I got to take a break. Right? Yeah. You, you can't, I mean, even being authentic, it's, it's hard to be on camera all the time, right? Yeah, but, true. But, true. But if someone's inauthentic, it becomes even more difficult. And one of the issues these left-wing streamers have, of course, is the left hates success. And so yeah. as they become successful at streaming, there comes to a point where they're only getting diminishing returns because yep. there's going to be a lot of concern about what you're doing with the money that you yep, earn every this time is hilarious right hassan piker like, yo he's the number one a, a massive mansion and when people pointed out the hypocrisy in this the response was oh like being a socialist means you can't own a house no 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 no. okay being a socialist means you probably should not own an unbelievably expensive house in an <laughs> unbelievably expensive part of the country when you could use the money to assist the proletariat for whom you claim to care so much but yep. they never have to put their money where their their mouth is. And that's one of the flaws with their ideology, because even though in the short run, not living up to your principles can be expedient in the long term. Absolutely. The public seeing people actually stick by the things they claim to believe is going to make a difference. It's going to yes. affect the way they see these different political movements. Yep. And I know that for me personally, this would not be worth it to me if I wasn't saying the things that I genuinely believe in that genuinely matter to me. So I love streaming. I love doing podcasts. You know, I got into this as a cartoonist. And the reason I wanted to make those cartoons is because I love animation. And I think so much of what is being made by the mainstream is garbage, to be (laughs) frank. And I, I think a lot of it also only offers one political perspective. Oh, yes. And absolutely. so when I started doing Freedom Tunes, I was thinking, I'm going to get people to understand a different perspective using comedy. And now it's more or less changed. 
I'm just trying to make comedy, but because I'm writing from the perspective of a more conservative person, I obviously end up making jokes that would appeal to conservatives more, but we're just trying to do comedy. We're just trying to make animation that is solid and that works given a very like limited time frame and a small budget. But the only reason it's it's worth it to me is because I do think we can make something good and because I am able to say things that are true. Yeah. With with so many people on the left, right? They they could be working for CNN. Right now, there would be some struggle there with respect to the format. I get all that, but they're not saying anything that people aren't going to get if they're not saying it. True. And I think that with with people like myself and yourself and Tim and so many other people in this sphere who have seen success, it's because like if you go away, there's there's a unique perspective I think that's actually lost. I, I don't think that, you know, there are certain things you say that other people are saying, but there are things you're saying that basically only you are saying, or very few people are saying, or you're the only person with your level of popularity. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't really exist in mainstream media. The only person for whom that was true was Tucker Carlson and look what happened yeah. to him, right? Yep. They got rid of him. Yep. So I think there is, there's a sadness in the fact that someone would be using these new platforms, which have the advantage of allowing you to say things that you probably couldn't say in the mainstream, but then just fake authenticity and say things that you could say on MSNBC. Why yeah. are you doing this? What's the point? Just you know, I'm, and, and people might say, oh, well, you're more conservative and Fox is a conservative network. Why couldn't you just be on Fox? Fox would never in a million <laughs> years allow me to say the things that I want to say about how horrible I think sodomy is. The fact that people are literally abusing children with these sex transitions. Yeah. Fox uses people's pronouns, right? Fox uses people's preferred pronouns. They'll call a man and address she if that man asked for that. So yeah. it's it just Fox doesn't tell you. All right. Here's how I lay things out. CNN tells you what you're supposed to believe, and then Fox tells you what you're allowed to believe. Like, all right, if you're not going to obey CNN and hold to their narrative, Fox is what you're still allowed yeah. to think, but what you probably shouldn't. Once you're further to the right than that, you're just a far right lunatic, and no one should hear what you have to say. And they'll say this about people like you who aren't even like you're conservative in a yeah. sense, but you're you're like an anarcho-capitalist. You you yeah. wouldn't support a lot of the policies i support that people would say are like horrible and authoritarian but they don't stop them from calling me that yeah so. exactly it doesn't matter and by the way like i don't know like i don't know if i would consider like an authoritarian i don't even know what that means at this point uh, i think when we talk about authoritarianism i think the problem with authoritarianism as we generally understand it is it's not that there are rules it's that the people who make the rules don't have to follow them yeah uh, that's yeah. how i conceive of authoritarianism yeah. people at the top who, who pay absolutely no consequence for deviating from the rules are setting rules for you. That yeah. I, I think is horrible. I yeah. think there's, but I think there's absolutely room for like local authorities to have laws that are, are very powerful surrounding things that really matter. Like, uh, you know, abortion is what I've mentioned, pornography, etc. But without, without having to get into that too much, these are conversations that would never happen on on Fox. These are conversations that would certainly never happen on, on CNN or MSNBC. 
And I think that's another thing that our audiences massively appreciate. And I think YouTube is really going to screw themselves if they continue to try to make life less comfortable for conservative content creators because people know they can get the left-wing thing from television. They're not going to go to YouTube for that because, frankly, it's going to be better produced. There's going to be more money behind it True. on CNN or on MSNBC. Like The thing YouTube has to offer is that it sort of interrupts the hegemonic narrative. And so if they just want to go along with what's safe to say on television, they're kind of pointless. Yeah. Now that would, that would end them effectively. Yeah. Um, and this is why you have alternative kind of video platforms though. The, it's almost remind, reminiscent of blockbuster where, yeah. you know, they control the entire industry and the only reason Netflix um, it, it became what it was. And now we have all these streaming services is because Blockbuster left a window of opportunity for, them, you know what I mean? And if, if they had that shut, we're still thinking of Blockbuster as as the 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 platform. So, exactly. you know, basically, when you're at the top like that, you have to go out of your way to screw up. Um, and that's kind of yep. what it is that they're what they're doing. And that's the one thing that does differentiate them from the other platforms or, uh, or more establishment media stuff is that you you have a bunch of people who it's not bought and sold as much. You know what I mean? And I think, it, again, that's what the audience is looking for a lot more more now. I mean, definitely when you have people kind of stuck in their in their houses with, with, with the COVID and stuff, I had a big meteoric rise because I was talking about mm. this stuff and they weren't getting my message from, from the Foxes, from the um, the MSNBCs or the CNNs. They weren't getting that message from, from them, they, but they were getting it there. And like I said, as a creator, I think that's an advantage that you have actually above them, because really what we're seeing is stubborn, stubbornness uh, from the establishment guys, because they think their old and archaic model is the model. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and now people are seeing that, well, there's better alternatives to that that's produced at even half the cost. Um, and it's better. You know what I mean? It, yeah. uh, better and better in quality, at least what they're getting getting from it. It may not be as highly produced, but at least what they're getting from it, they consider that uh, far more valuable. So you you have an advantage as kind of in an alter, alternative space. But, you know, being authentic is going to really carry you. And I think that's why I've you know, I've been doing this for a very long time. And, you know, we've been I can't yeah. when you said like it's been like seven years, that kind of blew my mind. I was like, it's been <laughs> that freak. Let me just double check. Long. Let yeah, me double like, check when that video went up. I, I think it, it, it was somewhere around there, though. It might have yeah. been even 2015, dude. Like yeah. um, it was it was a while back, man. Um, So, yeah, like that oh, was. Man, yeah, that was so 20 January of 2017. Yeah. Like so yeah, that blew that. That blows my mind. Like that that's how, how long ago it's been. You know, so you're talking about over half a decade. You know what I mean? And I've been doing this obviously for as long, you know, uh going into the early 2010s when I was like really starting to grow more in the music, music sense. And I think it's never been like it has never been a plateau for me because more people are coming around to just real people. And I'm just I'm I'm benefiting from that. So yeah. You know, that's it, it, why I say, man, it's no better time to be a creative uh, than, than than right now. Um, right. You know, you just have a, a window of opportunity that you, you may have not had before. Before AI comes and just takes all of it over. And then <laughs> you know, there'll be AI videos generated of, uh, of Eric July. Yeah. <laughs> uh, ooh, that's going to be a real thing, though. And yeah. I, I wonder how AI is going to correct the, you know, uh, affect the creative fields and enterprises. I have a, a number of different theories about the direction that this might go in. I mean, look, 
the development of technology, at least within animation, has been massively important for me. If we were still using paper and celluloid, right, it would not be possible for us to yeah. do a video a week. We do three videos. There are some weeks where we do like four or five or six videos. That would literally not be possible without millions of dollars, millions yeah. of dollars, if we were still doing this with paper and pencil and like multiple different teams. So we, we're really blessed with the technology we have. I think ideally what the tech allows for is a, a lower barrier to entry. Yes, so in the yes. past, if someone wanted to do one animated political cartoon each week that was distributed to hundreds of thousands of people, you would need massive connections. You would need millions of dollars worth of financing to be able to get that done every week with the old technology that they had. You would need millions of dollars of financing with respect to distribution. You have to take you know, advantage of a massive distribution structure, like having your, your cartoons on a showreel before new films that came out, something like that. It, it just it would basically be totally unfeasible if it was even achievable. Yeah. Nowadays, because we have all the web infrastructure for self-distribution, because we have animation softwares, because there are collaborative softwares on the internet that you can use to communicate with people more effectively, yeah. we're able to pull this stuff off. And so my hope with AI is it's just going to continue to push us in that direction where it's going to make our life even easier. Because 100 years ago, if somebody found out that it was going to be as easy to generate animated content as it is right now without AI being a factor, they might be horrified. Look True. how many jobs this is going to cost animators. Look how less likely uh, or, you know, it's going to be for someone to be able to make obscene amounts of money doing this. Okay, but lowering that barrier to entry allows people to reach a level of productivity in that field that they never would have reached otherwise because they would have had to have ascended to such massive heights before they could have even begun. So right. that's my hope for AI. Now, that's not a prediction. That's a hope. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's going to be difficult, I, I think, to because this one, I think the thing that makes this maybe different from what we've dealt with before is that a lot of it's using uh, rehashed um, like versions of certain material. Yeah. And I think that that's where it, it gets a, a little more trickier than some of it does. Some of it is like. Okay, I can see where someone would be like, yeah, it, it, it'll help me do this little old project and I won't have to, you know, like I said, it lowers the barrier of entry. I think the, the rehashing of old material is where it gets where it gets dicey. For me, I, I, for me, I think, and this is more of a white pill, if you will. For me, I think that it's going to end up making if it if it gains the ground where to the point to where people are trying to really present completely AI generated art as something that's for sale, um, something that is um, they're putting a lot into like that. I think that it's going to make our work, which is more boots on the ground, more of a premium. Yeah. Um, so that would be the way I see it. It's like, well, do I get to mark it up? You know what I mean? Because I, I get, so. to, you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> right, right. You know, no. like, do I get, hey, non AI generated and maybe I could, you know, mark up the, we mark up the items because maybe those types of people, it almost becomes its own kind of sector of the art that is more of a premium based art where people are paying more for just regular people still still producing. You know what I mean? So that's what I'm I'm thinking may may actually happen. But I can certainly see, you know, I guess conversation obviously comes up in my chat a lot on the various streams that I had. Like, how do I feel about that as creative? I'm not I, I will say I'm not I'm not scared about it. There is a lot of unpredictability about it. 
that can be nerve wracking for some. But for me, I'm like, if it means that I can sell it at a premium, then I'm actually I'm, I'm going to be benefiting a lot from it. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, that could be the case. It's it's so hard to make it is. predictions about this yeah. kind of thing. Could end up just totally forcing everyone who does anything creative like that out of work <laughs> or most people out of work. Yeah. I don't know. I, I will say this. Historically, it was unbelievably rare to be able to have any kind of artistic job. And it's true. still relatively rare today, but nowhere near to the That's degree true. it was. Good point. So it's possible that you and I were just privileged enough to live in this short window where your average person could have a creative career with relative ease and AI is going to shut the door for that. And if that's the case, that's rough, but I, there are always going to be artists and maybe what that's going to do is separate the wheat from the chaff and the people who are really making art because they genuinely care about it a lot yeah, are going to dominate. And the people who were more or less just in it because it was easy yeah. or easier than it was historically are going to be pushed out. Now, by the way, I'm understating how difficult it is to to build a foundation to be able to make yeah, money. Doing it still it. takes a lot of work. It still takes a lot of work. It's still very difficult, but historically it was basically impossible. Comparatively like, speaking, it's moved like from impossible right. to very difficult. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it needed to move. Like, I mean, something like the Riververse wouldn't have been a thing. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, years ago. So that's what I'm saying. Like, it was it was very hard to get to the point where I was like, well, established enough to be able to make this stuff, but it, and it took literal years, like years of nonstop work without making any money to be able to start making money oh, yeah. doing this. But you know, a hundred years ago, it would have been years of nonstop work without making any money. And then I still wouldn't have made money. Right. Like yeah, yep, true, so that, true that. There is a true lower that. barrier to entry. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I'm right there yeah. with you on that. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I'm, I'm really happy for you guys. I, I think Appreciate that's incredible. It, I've, I've mentioned this uh, and I'll, I'll tease this a little bit here. There's some, there's some stuff that we plan on launching within the next couple of months, next year uh, at the latest. Uh, I won't get into too much detail about that, but yeah, I, I think that more people need to be generating content, which is interesting and engaging and isn't just coming from this insane far left perspective. I'm a big believer in the idea that if you just tell a good story, a genuinely good story, good morals are going to come through. Oh yeah. Because it has to, the, the universal truth, it has to come through. Exactly. Um, and a good story has truth in it by definition. There's just something about the narrative structure that yeah. in and of itself is a kind of truth. And you can be really heavy handed with it, or you can write in a way which is more removed in a sense, or maybe not more removed, maybe even more ingrained as a way of putting it, but which is semi allegorical. Yeah, so yeah. Let, let me give an example. There's like the, the CS Lewis approach and there's the Tolkien approach, which mm -hmm. is, and the line, the line, the witch in the wardrobe is great. Loved it as a kid, but it is so over the top and heavy handed in its metaphors. Whereas Lord of the Rings is, according to Tolkien, not metaphorical at all, right? Yes. He's not trying yeah. to make any allegory, but like if you're Catholic, you can clearly see certain Catholic things really working their way into his writing. But it's not because Tolkien set out and said, how can I represent Catholic teaching in a story? He was just making a good story right. because he was Catholic. His faith comes out in that. And another yeah. Catholic goes, oh, like, I understand what he's saying. I understand what this point is or what this is representing. And it's not because he was trying to shoehorn it in there. 
it's because he was thinking similarly to me with respect to his moral worldview. Yeah, like that is uh, kind of our approach, right? Like yeah. it's like, you know, you're going to pick up something. I, I can't promise that you're not going to pick up something for people that follow me. Like, oh, that's a that's an old to kind of his approach to this, this and that. You know, and, you know, there's effective communicators that are like that. Some of the best stories that have been ever, you know, ever been told are, are kind of along those lines. And I think that's the fun part of it. Like you have there's room for it all. Right. There yeah. is room for stuff that it is a little more heavy in, in terms of the handedness of, of how that story is being told and very, very specific and very, very direct. And there's others that are more indirect that are uh, maybe even tell the same same message. But um, it, it's just told in a, certainly a different way. And I think. In in our day and age, there's just there's just room for it all, and, and I, I, that's what I guess that's the encouraging part of it because you see stuff. I, I guess even like with with granted, yeah, the Riververse is far more successful than what what backwards is, but backwards wasn't no slouch. You know what I mean? We were we we're Billboard charting artists, so mm -hmm. so you know. It, it, but you know, there's two different approaches, right? Well, backwards is like I'm in your face, like yeah. with, with everything. Where Riververse isn't, but both of those saw levels of success, so. That's the fun part of it, of it all. And um, it's encouraging. It's very encouraging because really you, you see that the pie is not, I guess, as fixed as a lot of people like to think that it is. Yeah. And look, we've touched on this not to beat a, a dead horse or sound like a broken record here, but they're scared of this. Like, there's a reason you're being attacked for doing this. There's a reason all of us get attacked. And they, they are more vicious in a sense when you're trying to do something creative as opposed oh, to yeah. when you're just speaking opinions that they dislike. They're afraid. They're really afraid. Yep. That's what they don't want. I mean, I think this was the part that they secretly knew because it was almost their own tactics. They knew that if, if we figured this out in mass, it, they were in trouble. Mm -hmm. So I think this is their kind of last ditch effort and why they become so disgusting and nasty uh, at folks like ourselves, because they're like, wait a minute, they're in us in entering into a sphere that we're supposed to dominate. Exactly. And we have been dominating. And that means that they might get a level or a gain of influence that we got and it would be now back to competing with us. And they the difference between, I think, our side and theirs fundamentally is that, yeah, we may have the better we, we have the better ideas. W what they have over us is the communication of those um, yes. ideas. Yes. And that in so itself, better. you know, yeah, it, it becomes completely upended in the event that we start to get involved culturally and start to become uh, uh, prominent uh, in that, even if it's mildly competitive, it, 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 again, that's to me is the path of victory. Well, it, it, this is the way I think about it. When your ideas are, are as absolutely insane as theirs, you have to be really good at communication to get people to buy into them. Now, yeah. I think that only gets you to a certain point. At some point, you need to just start bullying people into agreeing, which is what they've done, right? Because their ideas are oh, so yeah. insane. They can't convince everyone. That's why they have to bully people. So I think cancel culture is an indicator that their ability to communicate these things effectively has totally broken down. Oh, yeah. And so now they need to screen people into silence. That's not necessarily a white pill. You can take it as one. It's not me saying we're winning the battle of ideas or anything like that. But it is me saying that if we step up our ability to communicate, we have a real shot at this. We have a, a shot at, at, at winning this battle. Absolutely. And that's encouraging, man. Um, it's... You see, and it's inspiring, man. When I see people, even, you know, definitely folks in our little pocket of the internet, you know, I saw what, what Freedom Tunes had done, you know what I mean? And it, it's inspiring for, 
for folks like myself as well. You know what I mean? Even if we are seeing levels of success, because it's like, you know, this is something that is absolutely achievable. Right. Uh, and and maybe we haven't even scratched the surface because you would have told me backwards was going to be like the peak. I'd have been like, all right, I'm cool with that. You know, I, I was number <laughs> yeah, number yeah. two. I got millions of views on on like my music videos. That's cool. But then it got topped, you know, by the next the next project it is that I participated in. So, you know, it, it's it, and, and everybody's seeing that we see a lot of folks in the kind of our pocket of the Internet that are that are. You know, they see a lot of success and they're gr- but they're still growing. Right. Like it's like, yeah, it, it's it's still it has an upward trajectory, which shows that, bro, we're, we're really just getting started. We're we we really are. And, and that's that's so exciting uh, for me, like for Riververse and, and I some one to be like the first book. And, and for it to do what it did, it's it's I don't let up. You know, I look at it like, OK, I've been now the, the audience said this is what they want. So now we start reinvesting and we start creating more more of it and who knows maybe maybe uh maybe it's not the next project but who knows you know a year from now two years from now we do a project that does even better um i, I think there's there's a lot of potential you know certainly yeah. there and i think uh, all of us uh, should look at that when we see other folks do that that are in our little corner of the internet like that that's encouraging man it's inspiring amen and this is important right because everything you're saying here i think is absolutely well founded there are good reasons to be optimistic but also it's important for us to be optimistic because our enemies don't want us to be right. They don't mm. want us to be hopeful. They want absolutely. Us to think Good that point. It, and one thing conservatives kind of struggle with people on the right, people just outside of the left is they can be kind of doom and gloom because of how powerful yeah. the left is. So here's two things I want to say to everyone. If you're struggling with that, firstly, we call this the culture war, right? But this is actually just the battle. It's part of something much larger, which is called spiritual warfare. And it's been going on for all of human history and the good guys win. Okay. The, the difference between spiritual warfare and a standard human war is with human warfare, at the beginning of the war, you know what side you're on. And then at the end of the war, you know who wins. With spiritual warfare, from the beginning, we know who wins. And then at the end of the day, we kind of figure out which side we were on the entire time. And so we can't lose our souls trying to fight yeah. this. We have to yeah. understand that God's going to take care of everything. At the end of the day, things will be as they should. However, Yeah, there are certain battles that aren't guaranteed to us with respect to uh, a victory. It's possible we lose the United States. It's possible that the United States just falls, the the West in general falls. These things could happen. I'm not telling people you don't have to worry about trying to win. That said, that's why I call call these battles as opposed to the entire war. Because in the end, we win the war. Mm -hmm. These battles are important, and we should still be optimistic about our ability to win them. Because I'll put it this way. In, in basic training for the military, right, the drill sergeant is instilling into the minds of the soldiers that, yeah, they need to work really hard to win, but he's not sitting there going, this is hopeless, we're going to lose no matter what, right. there's no point in fighting this war, we're screwed. Why would he do that? That's what the right. enemy would want him to say, yep. right? That's exactly the, the enemy. If if you had a drill sergeant who was an undercover spy for the enemy, what he would be saying uh, is you have no just chance. relax, who cares, because we're not going to win anyway. All right. Exactly. And it's so important. I mean, it's I I can't say enough, you know, as I talk about a lot of these different efforts and a lot of these different things that are happening that the left have been very successful in in, in communicating and and, and being uh, at least in some way, shape or form impacting. You know, I'm always reminding people of like when we do have those kind of if you are to see them as many victories or 
more accurately putting it shows how much power you actually have that I think a lot of folks on our side don't give themselves enough credit for. And and that that starting number one is like as customers, I think. But like, I think this whole situation is going to go down as one of the more like as a milestone in itself, as in like for the first time in, in a long time, if not ever, you have folks finally wake up and realize that for one, you don't have to fund people that that are not with you. Um, and what that amounts to, you know, I just covered the other day. I mean, in terms of market value, they're down like $15 billion in, in yeah, that they, they really did a number. Yeah. Like that, that's Ooh. unheard of, but you know, for a very long time, a lot of folks do spread doom and gloom and they think that it's inevitable and everything just, there's absolutely nothing that you can do. And I, I've been preaching for, from the mountaintops for a while. It's like, just as customers, taking that aspect alone when it comes to things that you voluntarily purchase, like not like when I say that, I'm, what I'm meaning is it's like non-essential things, right? Not like your food or, or something of that nature. Like we're talking like a, a beer. Um, and even if you are, I don't drink, but even if you are someone that does, there's other options. You know what I mean? So I say this with Disney, for example, like Disney is one of the companies and they're hurting too right now. Uh, one of the companies that they don't produce Jack Diddley outside of the inter entertainment space. So all of this, all of it's for the most part optional, right? It's like, I don't yeah. need it. Like I don't yeah. absolutely, I don't require it to live and thrive. They don't produce like my community form of communication. It's not a it's, Disney. They're not phone. making insulin over there. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. So it's purely in it. So they're one of the easiest big dogs that, that they are the form uh, to, to, uh, that, that exists. So as more people catch up to that idea and they catch up to that line of thinking, I think Bud Light shows that, I think there is a reason, plenty of reason to be optimistic about it because of exactly that. Because, you know, I always word it this way. Leftists fund you, you don't fund them. That's the biggest difference. They are as dumb as a box of rocks, and that is true. But they they have a little more discipline in one aspect, and that's in like that. They, if they find out that you are not one of them, especially they've shown you that as of recently, they're out. They're like, we will not fund you. We're going to, if anything, try to get you off of the project. You saw what they did to Gina Carano. Yep. So they they want you out of there. Like, that's how they look at it. And they will delegitimize or try to any effort it is that you do that's outside of sort of their scope of, of, uh, of control, right? Yep. Um, so for me, if it's not even about playing their game, it's more of an inaction than anything. It's like, okay. You don't like me. You've made it clear. I've given you chances. This isn't this isn't we ain't talking about just mere disagreements. We talking about the fact you do you gen you have genuine dislike for my mere existence. Okay, yep. cool. I'm out. So once yep. I say I'm done here, we're not gonna I'm not going to go out of my way to purchase that. Folks will they got one or two options. These massive uh corporate entities have one or two options. One, they're either going to act right. Two, they're going to go under. I'm fine with either or. You know what I mean? As exactly. far as I'm concerned. Exactly. Whatever decision that they want to make, if they want to go all the way down with the ship, that's cool with me too. Yeah. I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that. And I'm not even interested in, 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 in like saving them as a company per se. They can go down. That, that's fine. Look, maybe maybe something else rise from the ashes. I'm cool with that. It, so it, there's a lot of power here that we have yeah. that I think a lot of people don't give us ourselves credit for. I totally agree. And I think one thing that's important to remember about this Bud Light boycott and the target boycott is this isn't just conservatives this is true just regular people regular right? people yeah and, and i would say that more so every day 
conservative is really beginning to mean just regular people. You don't have to have any particular ideological position. You just have to kind of know the differences between boys and girls and not want children to be put on hormones and sliced up and not wanting to see a, a man in a dress uh, in advertisements for beer, right? You just have to be normal. And one counter argument I've heard from people in the past that I always thought was really kind of embarrassingly stupid was, well, boycotts don't really work because so many of these companies are owned by larger companies. And so even if you hurt the smaller brand, you don't hurt the larger brand. Firstly, the larger brand is hurt when profit decreases on one of the smaller brands. True. But more importantly than that, what you're saying when you boycott is that you're saying we as consumers don't like whatever it is that this sub brand has become associated with. And so that tells the larger parent company not to build that association between any more of its sub brands and whatever it is people are upset by. So it makes it clear you will not force this onto us. Boycotts are very effective. Boycotts Absolutely. work very well. This Bud Light boycott has been beautiful. <laughs> just totally crushed them. And, and it just goes to show you that you can only take this stuff so far, right? Absolutely. A person, a person might not stand up and wor at work and say, "Okay, a man wearing a dress is repulsive to see, and I'm not interested in looking at that, and I'm also not going to call him a woman." They might not say that, but they're not going to go out of their way to affirm it by buying a brand of beer, which has now made it clear their mission in selling this beer is you affirming somebody's imaginary gender identity, right? Like, no, this is imaginary. He's not a woman. Yeah. And so I think what's happened is they're, they're learning. They can kind of only push it so far. Now, at least when it comes to how quickly they can push it, I, I you know, I, I don't want people to think that it's game over and we we beat Bud Light, so now they've learned their yeah, lesson. No, Look, more work to be done. It, you know, if if the left had done another ten years or twenty years of their damage to the culture, the Bud Light boycott might not even have happened. So, you know, true. I mean, we, we have to push back against these things. Yeah, it, it, there's, and yeah, sometimes they are more. Well, calculated in least in, in terms of how fast uh, that they that they generally move. But I just like the message that it sends in general. Yeah. You know what I mean? That there is a there's a point that people get they get sick of it. But when they do, again, it's more inaction than it is like action. You know what I mean? It's just when they just opt to, you know, just opt to opt out, if you will. Mm -hmm. You see what happens and, and, and what that what impact it is that you have, because. I think a lot of people get too caught up in the fact that, well, they've existed even for a very long time and they've been around. And that means that they have to be around in the same capacity forever. And that's just not true. No. Um, we've seen even companies come and go. But you're seeing like just how much power you as an individual um, and groups of individuals actually have. Um, and I think that to me is, uh, is is very important and worth noting, because who knows what? I think that's really what we're going to be cooking with grease. Once this stuff like these, this idea starts to really seep into into folks, to just regular people that, wait a minute. So I don't have to just take this. I, I don't have to just sit up here and like consume this stuff from people that that really have genuine dislike for me. And I'm OK. And that starts to catch on. I think we're going that's when we're going to see this thing become momentous. And we're going to start to really see change um, for the better for regular people um, in, in the West. So it, it's I think it certainly I don't want to ever underestimate what is happening because I do believe it's certainly significant. Mm -hmm. Amen. Well, man, let me ask you, what's what's next for you guys? 
So obviously, Isom Two is going to be dropping um, next month. Uh, in month of, of of June, we'll be releasing another pre order campaign. It'll be very similar to the first, except the only difference will be that we'll start fulfillment during the actual pre order window, yeah. as opposed to after. Um, but everything else will, will remain largely similar. I can't wait for people to get the book. Uh, we have already announced that, you know, we have other people that are starting to work with us. Chuck Dixon, people saw the video that he is now part of the reverse as a writer. He'll be doing a book based on a team that I uh, created called the Alpha Core. Chuck Dixon, legendary Batman writer, um, all through the 90s. And to have him a part of our, our squad is actually, it's just crazy how full circle it's become because this is a guy whose books I grew up reading. So That's awesome, man. Yeah, you know, it, so it's feeling. fun. Yeah, it, it is. It, it's great. And, you know, I just want to keep this thing moving. I want to keep this thing growing. I want to continue to tell more stories. I have a lot of ideas in itself. And also, you know, and I I didn't mention this before. I think one of the most beautiful aspects of this has been the employment side. Um, Because we are on distributor, as I mentioned earlier, we're a bigger company than just like a creative company, right? Because uh, all all the sales are through us like so if you order it it's coming from our warehouse right and i have people and i've been able to give jobs to people that are good people good individuals they don't have to worry about oh if i say something on social media man i might lose my job they don't have to worry about that stuff and it's beautiful the fact that the company is growing and allowing us to employ more people is an awesome thing and uh, that's what I, I really pride myself in. And, you know, even, you know, like I said, market correction earlier, man, artists have been getting ripped off for a very long time. And that's an aspect that I would think a lot of people will be able to appreciate that I make sure these guys are paid competitively and on time. Everybody contractors to employees, everybody's getting their money. And to be in that position is it's a good it's a good feeling and it goes well beyond just a guy trying to make a comic book, you know? So I want to continue to grow to expand so we can give those opportunities. But next month, I think it's going to be a massive month for us. This year is going to be a massive month for us. I think we can get out. Um, a, we're going to get out at least two. Maybe we can get out the third book by the winter. We'll see. Right. Um, so we're, we're starting to starting to pick up the pace a little bit. And uh, I just want to keep it going. And uh, Lord willing, um, we continue to grow. I'll, I'll, I'll take it wherever, wherever he takes it. So uh, I'm excited. That's amazing, man. Well, I'm really happy for you. I'm, I've been very happy to see your success and how much you're blowing up with everything you do. I know that it's only up from here for you, man. You guys are going to keep Shit. crushing it. Yeah. And I appreciate you coming on. Uh, I'd love course, to do man. another cartoon with you at some point. Let's Let me do know it. If, yeah. Let's let do know it. Let's do it. I'm, I'm all about the collaborative stuff, man. So whatever, whatever you want, man, just, uh, just hit us up. We'll try to, we'll try to fit it in and, uh, make something happen, man. Cause those are, those are always fun. Yeah, absolutely. I'll shoot some stuff over to you. Let's do it. Let's do well, it. Well, thank you so much. Uh, is there anything else you want to plug to the audience real quick before we? I mean, you know me. I'm a, Eric D. July on all forms of social media, but Ripperverse.com is a place that you need to need to go. Ripperverse.com. You can get in if you haven't uh, read I Someone. You just discovered me here. Welcome uh, to to the Ripperverse. You can go buy some product if you want. So uh, we greatly appreciate it. And again, I'm just I'm just thankful and blessed uh, to be in a position that I'm in. So Ripperverse.com. Beautiful. And ladies and gentlemen, you guys know what I am going to promote. You got to join our locals community. If you hit that red join button right under this video, you will be able to watch the fan Q and A's. We do at least one each month for an hour. Usually we do more than one a month and often we go for more than 
an hour. So if you guys want to hit that red join button, you can be a part of that and you'll be able to watch for free. So you'll, you'll be able to watch those for free, but you do have to hit the red join button to see them. Thank you all so much. Uh, thank you once again, Eric, for joining. And I hope you all have a wonderful day.